This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Happy Monday to you. We're at it again. Back at it. Uh, we wish you the best today and hope uh, your travels are safe and well. Hey, great news coming out of the uh, labor and delivery room. Jeffrey Liam Simpson. He's, they've had their baby. Uh, beautiful baby boy, 9 pounds, 10 ounces. Big, big baby boy. We wish them both both the best of luck. That is uh, that's great. They it, They made it happen. They were waiting, and if not, they were going to induce Monday, but they were able to, boom, get her done. Late, what was it, late Friday night? In the lobby. In the lobby. Wasn't it Sunday at like 1 in the morning? Was it? Let me look. I'm looking at the date I don't here. Know. It mm-hmm. Yeah, it was yesterday. That's when I got the It text. was yesterday. Yeah. Uh, that's a big deal, having the baby in the lobby. I mean. Right. Well, I mean, it's close to the gumball dispensers. Well, and sure. Yeah, you can get you can get a drink. That little car you toss in a quarter and you're There's kicking. restrooms just right down the hall, probably. Yeah, very convenient. <laughs> that's oh, that's that was a close call then. But you know, a baby coming in at nine pounds ten ounces. And he says he lives like three, four blocks from the hospital, so it's not like he has a, a great distance to yeah, drive. Yeah, they were waiting. They were just cutting it close. I think it's the castor oil. Is that what it is? I think so. Once you once you throw down the castor oil. We were in the emergency room with my son on Friday night, I think. Late Friday night. I can't remember. Saturday night. Hmm. He got stitches. Fidget spinner? No. Oh. Uh, basketball. He slammed his head into the basketball rim. Oh. Well, a, it's his hops. On a trampoline. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that was- Different a, kind of hops. I've boy, never been in danger of getting anything close to a basketball rim. <laughs> Have you ever been on a trampoline, Cole? Maybe once. You put a tramp, you put a, a, a basketball standard by it, and then you just can be anything you want to be. In fact, I saw a video, um, some little league sort of basketball game, yeah. and these kids are running a play. Guy calls the play. The guy in the key gets down on his knees, hands and knees, and stiffens his back out. And then the guy with the ball runs, plants a foot in the center of the guy's back, pushes off, and tries oh, to do man. it. And he basically got halfway to the hoop and did a layup. So you're like, what was the whole point of the guy on yeah, the ground again? We, you yeah. just hurt that dude. But yeah, it was yeah, their play. Yeah, you about break the guy's back. They were really happy with that play. So uh, I'm, it's good that your son was using yeah. a trampoline instead yeah. of somebody else. And it, I mean, it's a cool story. That's what's great. It's like, I'll, yeah, I just hit my head on the rim. Yeah. I mean, it actually, you can see a little, the shape of those little rings that hold the net. Yeah. That's what he hit his head on. And it's a perfect <laughs> nice. shape. It was amazing. Uh, he's branded for life. So, uh, what do you think about the playoffs last night? Um, I mean, that was pretty awesome. It was a good two and a half quarters, maybe? Yeah. Well, if you like to watch points getting scored, it's about the most yeah. that have been scored in the finals since then it just like kinda, the beginning of the 2000s. You know, the the, the, the Warriors made a couple of runs, and the Cavaliers caught them, and yeah. then finally the Warriors just blew the doors off. Just wear you down. They just wear you down. I went out, changed the water. In the backyard, came yeah. back in, and we're like, really? Okay, well, watch something else. Man, your yard must be huge. <laughs> it was just a couple minutes. Oh, I went okay. out, changed it, came back in. Like, and that's a big yard. All of a sudden, they're up by 20 again. I'm like, really? Yeah, it's a it's a weird series because they're very, they seem very evenly matched until you think of duration. Like, it doesn't seem yeah. like the Cavs have the staying power. 
It seems like they just can't keep up. It's just well, tiring. And, and then when you look at the uh, final box score, you find out that like the starters are keeping up. Yeah, it's the bench, the, yeah. the second wave of guys that come in that are like two of sixteen for the game. Like, good job, right. guys. Right, right. We're in your contracts there. <laughs> Holy cow! Well, you know what? At least it's it's something else to talk about other than <clears throat> politics and London. Holy cow, it's crazy what's going on. So today we're going to be talking with Joe. We'll get to find out from Joe in the know, we call him. He's our uh, he's our alleged Washington insider. He would never admit to being an insider. No. But he knows people and they let him in. See, like if we went there, we'd be outsiders. Right. Because we'd never get See, in See, he anywhere. doesn't want to like take on that name. Right. But then he tells us he just was in D.C. and he was talking to people, was, which is yeah. exactly the definition of what that is. It's always like, so I was talking to the senator. and Now, he doesn't think it's influential, but it, he does have nuggets of information oh, that he's yeah. letting us know. Oh, yeah. We have to f- you know frame it correctly for him. But. Mm-hmm. It's really... <laughs> it's great. Joe in the know. He'll be up next. Uh, plus, of course, other empty news, headlines, things like that. And... Uh, what we're going to do, by the way, is we're going to um, also we have to find some way today to celebrate Jeff. Really? Because can we do that when he gets, comes back? Well, no. I just I just think we need to show him some love somehow. Today. When he's not here to so maybe be Cole could be listening or looking for some some sound of maybe a nine pound ten ounce baby. Wow. Maybe something with a really deep raspy voice. <laughs> Anyway, we're, we will find some Something way that comes out to with the celebrate driver's license. that beautiful little boy. Wow. Uh, but first, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country? At least 14 people were arrested Sunday amid competing protests in Portland, Oregon, over a tangled web of emotions uh, to arise from the deadly commuter train stabbing in May. Hundreds of supporters of U.S. President uh, Donald Trump converged in Portland for the event billed as a Trump-free speech rally. They were slightly outnumbered by a mixed assemblage of counter-protesters across the street who viewed the speech as a rally as implicit endorsement of racism, given its close timing to the racially charged stabbing. The groups were separated by a wall of officers heavily armed and wearing protective body armor from local and federal police agencies. What began as a tense exchange of name-calling and profane insults took a turn when counter-demonstrators began throwing glass bottles, bricks, and what they're calling balloons of foul-smelling liquid at officers, which sounds kind of gross. Ew, officers used pepper spray to push back the counter-demonstrators, closed a park where they had gathered, and threatened to arrest anyone who remained in the area. This is exactly why they didn't want to have these uh, protests happen. But hey, what are you going to do? Uh, Facebook said Sunday it aims to be hostile, a hostile environment for terrorists in the wake of the terror attack in London that left seven dead and 48 wounded. The social media platform issued a statement reiterating its commitment to fighting terrorism after British Prime Minister uh, Theresa May singled out the Internet companies and called for more work to be done to prevent terrorism from being able to spread their ideology online. Simon Milner, director of policy at Facebook, said the company works aggressively to remove terrorist content from our platform as soon as we become aware of it. And if we become aware of an emergency involving imminent harm to someone's safety, we notify law enforcement. Twitter also said it was working to stop the spread of extremist propaganda online, noting that it had already suspended nearly 400,000 accounts in the second half of 2016 alone. Uh, Theresa May also pointed out that she wants to look at uh, further. They're already looking at it, but they want to go further into regulating the internet, and that has people afraid as to what that means. Oh, brother. Do you need a license to do anything on the internet? Do you need the government to okay you functioning on the internet in any way? To be a podcaster, as we have a podcast, would we need a license? 
all those things Would are on the table. Would they give us a license? I don't know. Maybe That's we don't the meet the question. standard. This year will mark the 10th anniversary of the iPhone, which helped cement Apple's position as one of the most profitable and successful technology companies of all time. This week, beginning today, Apple will be hosting its annual Worldwide Developers Conference. In San Jose, it is a yearly meeting for engineers who develop Apple products. The first day, though, they have a keynote that starts at 11 a.m., mm. 1 a.m. or 1 p.m. Eastern, and that's where they're they announce they're the big. new software, new devices, new computers, new tablets. Yes. Maybe they show us a new phone. <laughs> There's rumors of augmented reality goggles of some kind. Eye goggles. Eye goggles, because you know gog. that's something. One thing that a lot of people seem to believe will happen is there will be a, a, a Apple competitor for the Amazon Echo and the Google Home. Really? So a desktop type speaker uh, system that you use Siri. Really? Do we need another one? It's the fact that the others exist. Yeah. Okay. Even though it's on your phone. So we'll see how that all happens, but that'll go on today and then, you know, people will go nuts and distract them from all the other stuff that's yeah. happening in the yeah. world. And finally, Wonder Woman defied all expectations in its opening weekend, pulling in an estimated 100 million in domestic theaters, making it the biggest ever debut for a female director. Warner Brothers. Uh, DC Extended Universe film directed by Patty Jenkins easily dethroned the previous record holder, Fifty Shades of Grey, which brought in $85 million in 2015. Mm. More than half of those who turned out to the film this weekend were women, comprising 52% of the total audience. The female success comes after it faced some major controversies before its release. They had to replace the uh, director. I think Patty Jenkins actually was probably like the third director. Wow. Just, you know, the director wanted to go in a different direction. They didn't like it. They brought her in. She seemed to have a a vision they enjoyed. The movie uh, starred an Israeli actress. It was banned in uh, Lebanon because Lebanon is technically not not at war with Israel. Oh, good. Lebanon's not. The last time they had a conflict, they didn't actually sign a truce. So they're still legally at war. So if anything... Israeli in connection with Israel comes out. They have to block it. They didn't block Batman v Superman, which had okay, yeah. the Wonder Woman actress yeah. in it. But at this time, they're like, no, we're not going to have this movie. It's just Israeli propaganda because she's in it. Wow. So they blocked it from there. Also, there was a movie theater in Texas that had a uh, a woman's only showing. Yeah. And a bunch of men felt attacked for some reason and complained that they were not allowed to go to this one viewing of a movie of thousands of viewings of this movie this weekend interesting so. stuff wow i mean who would think it would get so politically crazy in yeah you know well i in also the movie world no i w- i went and saw the movie oh what I, did you I, think i, of I thought it was a very entertaining movie did she fly a jet no there's no jet uh, she did she have a lasso she did did it work i liked it really Instead of just lassoing people and tell, asking them to tell the truth like they did in the 70s yeah, TV yeah. show, she actually used it as a weapon. So she like would well, lasso them and then kind of throw them around. Throw them around or pull them in close and yeah. give them a little little, little love tap bit, upside yeah. the head type of thing. She sounds a little aggressive. A little bit, a little bit aggressive. But the people were shooting at her. So, I mean, she was responding in kind. Is she? Um, does she wear those boots? They're different boots. They're actually armored boots. What do you do with an armored boot? Well, the boot has like like you know metal. It looks like she was dressed like a what a Roman soldier would have been dressed like 
you know, back oh, in the was, is that is that the story behind Wonder Woman? Is she was a Roman soldier? Soldier? No, but from that time, you know, Greek gods oh, yeah, and yeah. that kind of thing. So okay. she's dressed in that sort of way garb, instead yeah. of like the seventies where she was in some sort of swimsuit with boots on. Well, yeah, an American based theme. Yeah, which was huh. which is odd to wow. begin with. But they kind of kept some of those themes, and I like it. it. She That's looks cool. like she's dressed for what she's doing in battle instead of like she's there for a swimsuit calendar. And it sounds like she's she's seriously tough. Yeah. Wow. It's kind this of interesting. Cool. But uh, they, they, I, I saw things saying that she, she was. Uh, they wished Wonder Woman was as feminist as they thought she uh, thought the movie was. Like the people writing the article were like, you could see where they in the movie they're they're saying that this is a feminist icon and it really didn't meet up to those standards. The writer thought. Yeah, yeah. Other people were saying that it's just too much of this feminist agenda and they need to just. And I'm like, oh, so you can't. And please. I, and I watched it. And I'm like. She's just a she's the just character a, from the comic books. People settle down. She's just an awesome. Everyone's woman. trying to put some political message on top of this. And Come it's on. just a comic. Come on, book. have fun. Did uh, in all of your comic book reading, did Wonder Woman ever date Superman? Yes. Or did they date? Uh-huh. What was that like? Yeah. I mean, just as a relationship coach, I kind of that intrigues me. You can see. Well, one thing um, that some other stuff I read pointed out was she comes from a stable environment. Good. She had a great family life. She had a, she had a mother. Her father was Zeus. That makes it yeah, kind of weird. I mean, that's weird. But she has an extended family, aunts and really? niece, nieces. I mean, she had all these people on the island that were her family all growing up. Whereas, like Superman, his whole family is basically dead because the planet exploded and yeah. he came to Kansas and his father dies. Well, and yeah, all that. when you're orphaned that. because of a planet, right? Yeah. And then Bruce Wayne, his mother and father died. Oh, that that boy. that pushed him into being a vigilante. And so okay. those guys are That's like good. from broken homes. She comes from I a stable environment. I was just wondering. So that might help Superman in a relationship. Was who get back to your question? Did he? Did, but it didn't last. Apparently, it's ongoing. Didn't Superman? Wasn't he dating Lois? Well, the problem is, is the timeline is reset several times. So. Well, in the would, recent iterations, they're dating. Well, isn't that because Superman flies backwards around the Earth? Actually, it's Flash. Flash is the one that changes the timelines. Oh, okay. He keeps messing with it, and it's bad. He needs to knock it off. So I notice you still don't have any other hobbies, just that. I well, I have quite a few hobbies. If that's what I changed the water and my, my watering cycle of my lawn, which I have articles telling me to knock it off. We'll talk about that. We also could just get you a sprinkler system. Well, that's my biggest issue right now is I need a sprinkler system. I mean... Yeah. Well, I have one, but it's busted, and I don't want to... Come on. Well, the pipes are 30 years old. Yeah. So you go out there, and you start twisting on the sprinkler heads, they shatter. So it's time to redo the whole thing. Yeah. Sounds like you don't want to Just do time and money. You know what you could do is just, like, go get a series of really um, boring, you know, comic book... They're not boring. ...audios, and then just listen to them you while you do the whole You can't yard. listen to audio comic books. Sure it's, you can. it's a visual medium... And well, an audio. No, but like, like get the book. Get like Superman the book. Yeah. There's no such thing. But go ahead. Yeah. I was just thinking. I'm just trying to help you get a life. Um, anyway, we will take a break. When we come back, Joe Cannon will be joining us. Joe in the know. Hopefully he'll have more to talk about than Wonder Woman. Boy, you ask one guy about Wonder Woman and he lights up. Never seen a happier guy than Terry five seconds ago. We'll be back. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you get through your Monday.
Well, because it is Monday, it's uh, it's time to bring Joe in. Joe Cannon is our Joe in the know, we call him. He's our Washington insider, and uh, Joe has a great background to help us kind of understand what's going on back there in D.C. and what's going on in the political world as a whole. Joe was a chairman of the Utah Republican Party, was a candidate for U.S. Senate, also served as an assistant administrator of the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency under the Reagan administration. He was also a news uh, editor in the Deseret News. So he he knows politics, he knows journalism, he knows the news, and he also has a few friends on the inside of uh, the D.C. belt as well. So let's uh, go to Joe Cannon. Joe, thanks for being with us today. Thanks, Matt. How you doing? Good. How's your Monday? It's good. Yeah, it's a pretty beautiful day today. Gosh, sunny. I know. It's a, it's a nice day. In fact, today's the day you just want to almost get rid of thinking about politics, thinking about terrorism, and just go for a walk. Go for a walk. Go, or, or as uh, a famous book once said, uh, a good walk spoiled, i.e. play a round of golf. Oh, there you go. Yeah, that's true. That would ruin a good walk. <laughs> Spoil it with uh, having to replace your divots. Hey, uh, Joe, um, I guess we got to begin with London. Holy cow. As a country, they are – I mean, England is taking – I guess Europe in general. They've had a, the brunt of the, the war on terror outside of, uh, I guess, Afghanistan, outside of Syria. It seems like there we have more and more attacks taking place in Europe. Yeah, Europe in general, and uh, of course, England in particular. And it, it, it seems like, uh, I don't know, I have no inside knowledge on this, of course, but it does seem like the attacks are somehow related to the election. And even if that's not the intent, uh, you know, clearly the election, which is Thursday, mm. is uh, being overshadowed by by uh, the, these uh terrorist events yeah imagine you know, you're running yeah, i mean this Manchester. has got yeah. yeah it's got to be hard uh trying to run an election when you keep getting another sad incredibly chaotic bridge attack or i mean it's because your job as the prime minister is to be um your job is to be the safe you know the safety provider and the mayor of London, these people are supposed to be providing the safety. Right. Well, and it's uh, very interesting, not not ironic, but interesting that, that uh, the prime minister, Theresa May, was, I think, for like eight years, the, uh, um, what do you call it? It's like the interior minister, the, the home secretary. Mm. So, so really in charge of and intimately familiar with security issues. That, that was her job. So she's pretty expert in this. Um, I don't know, honestly, how that cuts for her in the election. But um, it wasn't just, just kind of a comment. I was in reading and kind of thinking about this over the weekend, reading a bunch of things from the British papers. There seems to be a different flavor in the reaction this time. It's like a little, uh, no, not a little, a lot harsher. And, you know, there's a little bit about prayers and sadness and all that. But, you know, I think uh, whether it's the election or whether maybe enough is enough. But, you know, she's she, the prime minister, but lots of other people are basically saying enough is enough. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're they're And they're saying more specific things 
than useful. I mean, it's unusual. So, for example, you know, there she says, I want to break down these self-segregated communities mm. and be, a, a quote, a lot less delicate uh, in confronting them. Interesting, and, you know, yeah. Taking more more serious steps to, if not regulate cyberspace, really use cyberspace to to get a lot closer. I mean, the um, the uh, closer to the terrorists. So I, it's there's a there's a to me anyway a little different flavor. Yeah, in fact, in one the, of the big uh, headlines is she's saying enough is enough. You know, this is we've got to we've yeah. got to get more aggressive on this. Which which is so, weird I mean, because right that I mean there's a lot of there's a lot of Muslims um, in in London and there's a lot of there's just a lot of I think we always talk about the unemployment of certain groups and when they're unemployed and they don't feel like they've been assimilated and they don't feel like they have a voice they tend to be more prone to go into these these cells and create problems. Well, yeah, but I mean I think when she says. We want to break down these self-segregated communities. I mm. think that's what she's talking about. She's yeah. talking about uh, let's go into these, uh, I, you know, these sort of. She, another thing she said: there's no no safe zones for terrorism. Another one of her uh, quotes. And and uh, you know, you have these huge, literally geographic areas that are, you know. Uh, almost in the exclusive control of uh, Muslims in those areas. And so, but, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's really, really delicate. But I think what she's saying is time to get less delicate um, mm. about how we deal with that. Yeah. So, yeah, That's yeah. A, I mean, it really is. It's a, uh... And I mean, then you guess you contrast that to President Trump, who is always, you know, he and, and he's kind of making some hay about these attacks and, and tying it back to his need for, um, you know, for locking down the country for uh, travel bans. And do you I mean, some of the play has been that he's been politicizing these attacks. Do you do you get a sense that Trump has been politicizing him? Well, uh because that assumes um, a, uh, <laughs> I don't know what that assumes. Yeah, the answer is yes. That he, you know, immediately was on tweeting. I think he tweeted out three or three or five times in the first hours of this, uh, initially calling it a terrorist attack, which nobody did at the time. But you know, that, that that's becoming kind of a pattern. People, no one says, "Oh, we don't know it. We don't know if this is a terrorist attack." And then later, it turns out that it is. Uh, but yeah, he he was clearly saying this demonstrates the need for the courts and sort of a message to the courts. I, I don't know, you know, there's so many people who are his friends saying, just put the phone away. <laughs> you know, uh, just be a, stop a little it. more. Forget about being strategic. Just be a little more tactical. Yeah. You know, and and how you use uh, how you use that. But yeah, no, he's clearly took that as a uh, I mean he, he also tweeted some compassionate things just to be yeah. fair but there was a there was a chunk of it that was related to see uh, you know we got to we've got to address this in America and and I will say there's a little bit of a point that he has America is not anything like Europe when it comes to these uh, islands of uh, 
of uh, Islamic uh, Muslims, you know, in, in Germany, right, right. In, in France, and in England. Uh, so we're we're not we're not there yet. But uh, yeah, he no, he clearly was using it to hmm. bolster his. The, the interesting thing is the election in London, in England, is uh, Great Britain is it's Thursday, and they're going to go ahead with the election. Hmm. But, you know, she started out when she called the election. Of course, you know, I'm sure all the listeners understand this is where a parliamentary system is way different from our system. Uh, and there's really not an election for the prime minister. It's really which party wins the most seats. But when she called the election, the polls had her like double labor. So the, the Tories slash conservatives, they were double what the labor vote was. So she thought it was just a breeze. Let's call the election and consolidate, help prepare for Brexit. All of these things were on her mind. And now all of a sudden, I I think everyone thinks she's going to win. But at one point they thought they were going to pick up 56 seats in Parliament. Now it looks like they might not pick up very many at all. Mm. So she, she would still be ahead. But, uh, yeah, she went from a 24-point lead, I hear, to a four-point lead. Yeah, it's four points. I think the average, I read an average this morning, it's, a, it's around seven. Wow. But, yeah, it's a big, big, big drop. And she's running, you know, I, I guess we're be really polite. I don't want to be too mean, but she's running against a guy who is like a caricature. I mean, you know, no one likes, I should say no one, but he's not a popular politician. He's taking the Labor Party further and further left. So, you know, she thought she had a, a cakewalk here. Yeah, yeah. Um, what do you think? She, she doesn't. I guess before we leave Europe, uh, what do you think about the Paris Accords? I mean, that, again, seemed to, you know, create even more anger worldwide about Trump and his, uh, you know, he's giving up on not just he, he he's not he's making America great at the expense of making the world habitable or great. Um, good decision. Healthy decision. What do you think? Wow. Well, the Paris, it's such a thorny, complicated um, area. I mean, at the, at the one on the one hand, when Paris was signed, Lots of people, including some very strong environmentalists, were very disappointed because it didn't go far enough. And now, now you have a lot of people saying, why did he get out? Because whether we were in or out would make very little difference uh, to the outcome. The, 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 the truth is that um, it, it, he was rewarding his uh, base. He, he, he made a promise. I'm going to get out of Paris. He had the, uttered the famous line, you know, I was elected to represent Pittsburgh, not Paris. Right. Um, but I mean, the, the, we should have a much more extensive discussion about climate and uh, what, if anything could be done. Uh, but he, he, he made some right points under this Paris agreement. Um, so I'm not taking a position whether we should have got in or out of it, but under the agreement, it is true. China can do whatever it wants until 2030, hmm. no limits, and then in 2030 they could decide what, if any, of the rate of decline would be. So we're banking on the goodwill of the Chinese to decide they want to 
uh, hamper their economic growth. I mean, one thing is true that to meet any of the goals anybody has for reducing the threat of climate change, it's going to mean using less carbon. That's the whole, right. the whole thing is wrapped up around carbon and reduction in carbon emissions. Well, carbon emissions come from coal, petroleum, and natural gas. Those happen to be, you know, supply 85 plus percent or more of our energy. And when you throw in nuclear and hydropower and hydrothermal, you're in the 90s. And, and uh, wind and solar is a very small piece of that. And to, to really make the gains people want in reduction of greenhouse gases, which primarily are, again, carbon, although the methane is also an issue in there, to do that requires a massive, a massive, by 2050, which is the big, big date in the goal of the Paris Accord and, and in general, and people are thinking about climate. They're looking at, well, what is the world going to look like in 2050? Well, uh, lots of analyses show that even by 2050, there could be one to three billion internal combustion engine cars on the road running on on some kind of liquid fuel, and if nothing changes, that liquid fuel would be uh, petroleum, yeah. gasoline, and, and uh, diesel. And that's the Paris, the Paris Accord itself literally did not address greenhouse emissions from greenhouse gas emissions from the transportation sector. Mm. Literally did not even mention that. So it left the single biggest chunk of um, emissions unregulated. So uh, he got out of Paris for his, you know, put his own his people. Yeah. Fine. But, but having said that Paris itself, doesn't even solve the problems that the people who are, you know, concerned about climate think it solves. So, yeah. Is so it, a, I mean, I guess uh, and we can come back and talk about this. It, it may just seem more like it's a, it's leadership. I mean, it, with, without the Americans in the Paris Accord, then there needs, then, then we aren't on the leadership track when it comes to climate change. I mean, is that really what the issue is? Well, you know, that's the talking point. Uh, and just to be fair, America is the world's, the free world leader. It's actually the world leader in almost anything. We, uh, uh, Trump is already taking us away from leadership and climate by everything he's doing domestically at EPA and wiping out various of the regulatory packages. So we've already said, for better or worse, we've already said, we're not going to be the leader in climate, but that doesn't mean we're not the world leader in in virtually everything else. And uh, so, I, I think the the leader aspect of this is a little bit hollow. Yeah. We are the leader, one way or the other. We're the leader. Right now, we're the leader in saying climate isn't an issue, right or wrong. I mean, I'm not. We can argue. We can discuss that later. Uh, but what what Trump is saying is he's made a decision. Paris is only withdrawing from the Paris Accord is only an element of that. Already, his uh, what he's doing at EPA is attacking and, and dismantling the whole uh, of President Obama's 
climate plans. Mm. So whether whether we're in Paris or not, it's already undermined what's called the Clean Power Plan, which was one of the central elements of um, of America's climate uh, efforts. And they also yeah. uh, he's also uh, withdrawing or reevaluating the cafe status, the corporate average fuel economy standards. And that was the other another major plank in in uh, reducing greenhouse emissions from vehicles in the United States. So he's already doing things that whether we were in Paris or out of Paris, would yeah, move this away. It's just yeah, it's just another it's another shot, I guess. Let's take a break. Uh, we're speaking with Joe Cannon, our Washington insider. He's the uh, the the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation, which is an organization um, trying to lower the fuel costs here in the United States, and uh, we'll come back. He's also Joe in the know. We like to pick his brain, all things political. We'll be back. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends. Because it is Monday, we talk politics on Monday mornings, trying to figure out uh, what the talking heads are saying and, and, you know, does any of it really matter? We like to uh, bring on an expert, Joe Cannon, with this. Joe in the know, we call him. He just He's just really, he, he knows a lot of people and he knows a lot of stuff. So we like to have him here to guide us through some of this. Joe is the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation. And you can go to fuelfreedom.org to get more information about how they're trying to lower the costs of uh, fuel here in the United States so that uh, you don't have to pay as much at the pump. But also he has a a great history in politics as well and uh, has read, I think, pretty much everything. Joe Cannon, welcome back to the show. (laughs) We shouldn't say stuff like that. I know, but you have. Come on, Joe. Let's be honest. Hey, what do you think? Uh, You brought it up a little bit. Um, A lot of it seems like what Trump is doing is just the – the, the the dismantling of every Obama policy possible is it is it is is President Trump's uh, philosophy does he have his own philosophy or is his philosophy just anti Obama? Well, that's a good question. I mean, it, it just it probably depends on on a lot of things. His his main philosophy is to, in the past was to get elected, and now his main philosophy is to get reelected. Uh, as a big component of both of those was attacking President Obama's policy. So, but not all of it, to me anyway, not all of it is just purely reactionary. Some of it is, you know, Republican versus Democrat. So uh, you had uh, a, a lot of people, actually, including some Democrats, but for uh, obviously certainly Republicans, viewed Obama's Middle East policy, uh, you know, kind of switching the axis away uh, from Sunni to Shia mm. toward toward Iran, in and of itself, that's a policy choice that was clear that President Obama made and that a lot of people disagreed with, a lot of Republicans. So now Trump, President Trump may have had his own you know, motivation in, in attacking that, but that, that reflected a policy debate within the foreign policy establishment uh, in any case. So his moving back, you know, towards Saudi Arabia, moving more pro-Israel 
than President Obama was, that reflects a genuine policy debate that lots of smart people argue about all the time. Now, did he do that because of his, uh, you know, just wanting to undo Obama? Maybe. Maybe that was his motivation. But it does reflect a, a major policy shift. Same on environmental issues. Uh, uh, a lot of people were alarmed at the direction President Obama was going on the environment, wanted to change it. Now, what was what is President Trump's motivation? It could just be, I want, look, I won and I want to undo my, my predecessor's uh, uh, successes or, or policy de- decisions. So, you know, it's, hard to, it's a little bit hard to separate those. I, oh, I, don't yeah. think, I don't think that he has a comprehensive strategic um, policy framework in mind. But that doesn't mean that his decisions don't tap into uh, deep policy debates. Mm, yeah. Do you think, um, because now it seems like, uh, coming back to the United States, um, and, and President Trump, there's, there just seems to be like Congress isn't quite getting stuff done. They need to get done. They need to figure out about a debt limit or a borrowing cap, whatever we call it. They've got some big decisions to make, I guess, now. We're going to hear a lot more about infrastructure, maybe as a distraction. But meanwhile, uh, all we keep hearing about is the Russian investigation and headlines about the Russian investigation. Is that – is there a major – is there too big of a distraction? Well, what's happening and what is the Russian investigation doing to Congress? Well, a lot of that is to be determined because now you've got, of course, the whole uh, special, um, I don't know, special counsel. I'm not exactly the right term, but uh, you've got an executive branch, independent counsel looking at it. Congress doesn't want to give up; it's looking at it. Mm. So it is. I think it is a very big distraction, and it seems like everybody would be better off if they just kind of delineated what the investigations were in Congress, what the investigations were by by the FBI, are going to be by the FBI now. I think inside the White House, they need to do, and they're apparently doing this, so I'm not, it's not like I have big advice here, but they're apparently taking cues from President Clinton and setting up a separate unit to deal with the Russia investigations, because it's distracting everybody. It's distracting the White House. It's distracting... Congress and you know Congress doesn't have a lot of days to do things in the next few months. So uh, yeah, there it, it is a distraction. Um, something has to be done to get back to business, get back to the real uh, business. And you're right though; they do have to worry about the debt ceiling, and that just is a you know bullet coming at their heads. They have to do something about. No matter what the distractions are, no matter what else might be important, like health care or budgets or tax uh, tax reform, uh, all of that is takes a long time and, and lots of thought to do. Hmm. And they just don't seem to be getting to it. Could um, here's a crazy idea that I just thought of. Couldn't um, couldn't Congress pass a bill? Uh, a bipartisan bill that would limit the president's ability to tweet. <laughs> like, like really, because it seems like we could get pretty much universal agreement that that the president shouldn't be tweeting. Well, according to all of the leaks and people close to what's going on in the White House, 
that is the fervent prayer of almost everybody who is on his team. Yeah. You know, forget about everybody else. <laughs> people on his team. His would own like. people. I mean, there, yeah. was, there was a story last week or a few several days ago about getting this lawyer team together to manage the, um, the, the as we talked about, the Russia distraction. Item one on their list was have the lawyers review every tweet before it goes out. Oh, man. Well, you know, fat chance. <laughs> right. That, that's going to happen. So The president doesn't even review every tweet before he sends it out. Um, what do you think this is doing? Is this setting up uh, a big push for the Dems, uh, you know, in the midterm election? Well, it's really interesting. I, I you know, I've actually talked with a, a person who's a very well known and very well regarded pollster who is worried, a Republican pollster who's very worried about the uh, 2018 elections, both Senate and House, whereas it looked you know, on November 9th, things look great. Wow. Uh, you've got 2018, you've got eight to 10 uh, senators up who are Democrats in red states. It was looking like really good. But now there could be this feeling, whether it's, you know, explicit or not, don't know. But, you know, people think, well, maybe we need uh, a Democrat House or a Democrat Senate to be a check. You know, this is the you know first time in a long, long time that you've had House, Senate, and presidency all in the hands of Republicans, and so that's one. So don't know, but it'll be very interesting. I think on June twentieth there is this uh, midterm, this election in Georgia. Uh, that so the Democrats have already lost two: one in Kansas and one in Montana. The one in Montana they thought they had a shot at. But they clearly have a shot at the Georgia House seat that's coming up. I think, like I said, I think it's on the on the 20th. Already, I think they've spent more than 30 million dollars in a House race. That's both sides. Wow. Uh, so everybody really I mean, how much advertising can you do? Yeah, right. Uh, TV advertising in, uh, in one in area, one market. market right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's pretty, a pretty astonishing. But it's. it's, it's feels like both sides feel like all the chips are on the table. So the Democrats need a win to give uh, life to the argument that, you know, people are tired of Trumpism and they want to change. The Republicans need to keep keep it uh, to show that, yeah, they're not really damaged so far. So it'll be really interesting. I will say one, and again, a, a very smart political pundit, just off the record, just said, Maybe and this was a Republican. Maybe they need they the Republicans need to lose this to get some energy back because mm. right now it feels like the momentum uh, is really the energy momentum is on the Democrat side. So this Republican uh, pollster was saying, "Gee, maybe it's a good idea if we did lose that, then huh. you know we, we we might catch fire." Yeah, it turns something on. I mean, it does seem like the Democrats are struggling to find their leader, to find their new – I mean, President – or uh, Hillary Clinton is still making comments. No one's sure if she would ever run again. She kind of says she's not, but, I mean, she seems to be posturing. Joe Biden says he might be back in. Um, I mean, it's – who's the leader? They don't so seem to right, have the youth. Well, right now the only leader – I mean, person is acting like a leader on the Democrat side is Bernie Sanders, who 
just by the way, actually isn't a Democrat. Right. And so it's very, you know, the Democrats have a, a fabulous opportunity. But I mean, I, I know I'm saying was that anybody knows, but what they're doing is the whole resistance movement is about not Trump. Mm-hmm. And I just personally, I don't think not Trump is going to win. You have to have not Trump plus some kind of a strategy. And the Democrats are in disarray within their party uh, factions. You've got sort of the establishment faction. Even Biden would be an establishment right. uh, Go back faction. To- and then, then, you know, then you've got the Bernie Sanders faction and they they haven't they're not putting out a coherent policy beyond, quote, the resistance, close quote. And I that might be enough. However, that might be enough in a wave election to take the House of Representatives back. Yeah. But it's probably not enough to win the presidency. I mean, we've talked on this show before. The rule one of politics is you can't beat someone with no one. (laughs) Right now, the Democrats have no one at the presidential level. But I would call people's minds back to 1992 when, for different reasons, because George H.W. Bush was running again, Democrats had a hard time coming up with a candidate, and a a fairly obscure governor of a really small state in the South named Bill Clinton emerged and was Hmm. charismatic and beat an incumbent president. Yeah. Bada boom, bada bing. yeah. History so the fact was made. That there isn't somebody there right at this moment uh, isn't really disturbing. What's more disturbing, uh, if you're a Democrat, is you you got to put a coherent philosophy together, and that's that's not working. They're not doing that right now. Yeah, good stuff, Joe Cannon. We appreciate you. Thank you for your time and your great work. Take care and have a great weekend. It really is. Uh, it's a scary thought that. You know, I guess tipping over one election in Georgia might go a long way. But in reality, boy, we've got another year and then maybe a big swing. What would that do to Congress? Already a Congress that seems upside down and chaotic. Well, that's politics, my friend. We'll take a break. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends. You know, nothing says family love more than taking your kids to a Chuck E. Cheese restaurant to celebrate a birthday until shots start to fire. be fired. An Illinois man is celebrating his son's birthday at Chuck E. Cheese was arrested after he fired several gunshots into the air in the parking lot before he drove away. Hmm. Officers responded to Chuck E. Cheese's on Saturday at uh, 10, 10 p.m. Witnesses reported Jovan Chamberlain, 25, got into the, an argument with another man who was a guest at his son's birthday party when he fired several shots into the air as he sped away from the scene. This keeps happening. Chuck E. Cheese is, this, is this, the, the scene of this type of situation. I, there was a, a Freakonomics is a popular podcast yeah, right. out there, and they went kind of in-depth to try to see, and they basically found out that it's not necessarily Chuck E. Cheese that's no. the problem. What's the problem? They don't know 
it just it just seems that Chuck E. Cheese keeps getting mentioned. But it's it just it's one of those things where it's because it's Chuck E. Cheese, then a lot of focus yeah. goes on it because expect, it's supposed to be a place to have pizza and have fun, yeah, family joy, family love, not family. But there's fire. all these different factors. Sometimes some of the Chuck E. Cheese serve alcohol, so maybe that kind of gets people oh, kind of juiced. Um, others, you're, you're having these birthday parties. Divorce is a high rate happening yeah. in the population, so you bring, you know. You know the the two you know m- mother and father who are divorced together and people yeah. go nuts yeah. and father brings his not new girlfriend good. and not good. <laughs> All right, instead don't go to Chuck E. Cheese. Just you know, maybe just mail it in. We'll take a break, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. Hour number two of the program. If you happen to have missed the first hour, you can find it on iTunes, on TuneIn, on Stitcher. Go back, check it out. You know. You may be just in the car for a few minutes, but then you're thinking, oh, I want to hear that story that they were talking about. Well, that's where you find it. iTunes. It's there 24-7. You can also just go to BYURadio.org where you can download every one of the past shows we've ever done. 1,000, like 1,400 hours of content. Unbelievable. Is that how many? Or is that 1,400 shows times three hours? I don't know. The last number I saw was 1,100, 1100. something. So yeah. you, you times that by three. Yeah, that's a lot of work. We've been doing a lot of work here. But we got a great uh, hour today. We've got incredibly positive news. This is this is wonderful news for Jeff Simpson. Jeff's not here. Cole's filling in for Jeff. Jeff and his wife have a brand new baby boy. I don't think they've named him yet. I'm sure they were thinking something like Matt, Matthew, maybe. Really? Yeah. Wow. Uh, Liam. Oh. Something like that. A cute baby boy, uh, nine pounds, 10 ounces. Little gift from heaven. Just a little gift. Little? Well, a huge (laughs) gift from heaven. Delivered apparently, barely, they barely got to like the lobby of the hospital. Just apparently inside the front door. Here's some audio. Oh, yeah. That's the gift that keeps on giving right there. Yeah. Kind of makes you want to have a baby. Another 18 years of that. But they made it. They, that's such a great thing because now, you, okay, you finally have your baby here. You count the fingers. You count the toes. You can't believe the weight of that thing because that thing was huge. Right. And then you just breathe a sigh of relief. So we, we wish them both the best of luck. And uh, Jeff, have a great week off. Lucky. No. What do you mean, no? I just did that. Yeah, but isn't that just, that's a gift from heaven, blessed? A, a week off? Yeah. No. It's, it's, not like, it's not like you're sitting back with your feet up. No, but you get to just sit back with, she gets to sit back and just be glad that the baby's out of her. You just went from a wife that's really uncomfortable yeah. to a wife that's like hyper-concerned. Yeah, where's the baby? Where'd Don't you go? roll over on the baby. Every once in a while, my wife still wakes up thinking that, we have a baby, and I'm rolling over on it. Really? Yeah. Wow. Like when the grandbaby's staying over, she always worries that I'm going to hurt the baby. I don't know why. 
It's not like I've ever heard a baby before. Hmm. I mean, intentionally. Sometimes you just roll on a baby. Just roll over. Um, we got a great show. We're going to be talking uh, about, um, of course, empty news. Some of the news stories that, uh, you know, the Matt Townsend news stories, the ones that you don't really care about, but you got to hear because there's great lessons behind them. They're uh, possibly funny. Some might be possibly funny. And we will be doing rubber ducky news because that's important. Yep. Uh, also, um, one Oklahoma school apologizes for a Hitler quotation in their yearbook. Hmm. Like, is that that's something you apologize for? Well, I mean, yeah, you probably ought not. I mean, that shouldn't make it through the editing process. That's kind of my point. Is that does an apology fix that? I don't think it does. Well, but, no, but you got to do something. Because it's, I think they offered a solution, though. I mean, it looks really bad. Did they? We'll find out. Yeah. Is uh. We'll get to that fun plus seven ways to measure relationship health. Hmm. This will be really lengthwise. Like no, seven ways you can. Oh, personally, you can't just say it's like four. I we've been married fourteen years. That's healthy. Uh, is it? I'm just, you're the expert. I'm asking. Well, I mean, I mean, there's been there's been mistakes that have taken longer than fourteen years to fix. Wow. So maybe it's not about duration. Okay. Might be about quality. Mm. You know, maybe it might be about how many times you get in a fight at Chuck E. Cheese. It is you a know? source of some people's, you know, familial, you know, conflict. A, there's a lot of conflict. There. Have it over some pepperoni. <laughs> um, we'll get to that fun ahead. Plus, um, just anything we can find to to lift your life even for a minute. I have a new Oreo if we have time. Uh, what is the deal with Oreo? <laughs> Oreos, they're, they're just, as a company... They keep producing all these new flavors. Yes. And it doesn't seem like very many of them stick. No. They just kind of pop up for a few weeks and then they're gone. Yeah. But really, the bread and butter, so to speak, is the classic. You mean the... the bread and butter flavor. The black and white classic Oreo. Mm. But oh. they keep trying to iterate other directions and it keeps coming back the other way. Yeah, I don't think it's No, they're not trying to replace the original, but they're trying to keep people interested in the brand, I think. Right. I don't know if it's working, but... Well, we keep mentioning them. I tried the firework Oreos. We can talk about those. I kind of wish other cookie companies would pick up their game and try to make it as exciting as Oreos making it. Hmm. I mean, some cookies need a little do-over. Maybe they are. They're just not advertising as well. Like a Fig Newton. You need a Fig Newton makeover. You can't fix a Newton. It is what it is. (laughs) It is a cookie with fruit. Well... Sort of. Yeah. (laughs) That's a good point. All right, we'll get to that. But uh, first to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country? A police officer in New York City has been left in critical condition after being dragged for more than two blocks by a driver trying to flee in a stolen car. The officer, identified as 35-year-old Dalsh Vivi, uh, approached the vehicle in Brooklyn on Saturday to question the driver over reports of gunfire in the area, but the driver quickly took off. The officer managed to get off two gunshots, but was dragged for two and a half blocks before he was freed. Wow. When the driver turned down a different street, James P. O'Neill, the city's police commissioner, said the driver of the stolen car later crashed and abandoned it, and the unidentified teenager was taken into custody after turning up at a hospital with a gunshot wound believed to be caused from the police officer being dragged by, down the street. Several other people were also taken in for questioning, though no details were released on their identities or their role in the incident. So kind of scary there. New Jersey Governor Chris Christie. Remember him? 
Uh, yeah, he kind of disappeared. Kind uh-huh. of disappeared. Is near. Oh, I found that an interesting fact. Apparently, when he was a U.S. attorney, which he talked about quite a right, bit, right? Uh, he put Jared Kushner's father in jail. Yeah, no, right. That was a big deal. So that's probably why he's not in the administration why anymore. Kushner didn't want him in there. <laughs> that made me laugh over the weekend. Uh, so Christie is nearing a settlement in a lawsuit filed by a nurse who was quarantined in 2014 after working in Sierra Leone during the deadly Ebola outbreak. Uh, according to court documents, attorneys representing Christie later uh, said later last week to uh, they said in a letter last week to District Judge James Clark that the governor reached the agreement to settle in principle with Katie Hillcox. The letter did not include details of the settlement. Hillcox is working with Doctors Without Borders in West African Nation when the Ebola outbreak happened. She was stopped when she arrived at Newark Liberty International Airport and was quarantined. Remember, she was kept in the parking lot right. in the tent. And she was trying to get out, and they wouldn't let her out. Later, uh, she tested negative for Ebola and was allowed to go to Maine, where she lived at the time. The judge in September dismissed federal claims that Christie violated Hillcox's, uh, or Hickox's constitutional rights because of the quarantine. But a U.S. district judge ruled that she could proceed with parts of her lawsuit alleging false imprisonment and invasion of privacy. Really? And she was kept in the parking lot of that hospital. They wouldn't even let her in the hospital because they were afraid she may have Ebola. She came from there. She was helping people with Ebola. Right. So it's an interesting. interesting story. Harriet Thompson nonchalantly raced to the record book Sunday when she, the 94-year-old became the oldest woman to run a half marathon. How old? 94. What? Oldest woman. I, I guess it's unusual, but I don't know why people make such a big deal about it, she said after finishing the rock and roll marathon in San Diego. <laughs> I feel just like I did when I was 16, but I just can't move as fast. Uh, what, she, in 2015, she became the world's oldest woman to complete a full marathon. That was just a few years ago. Thompson, two-time cancer survivor, used uh, and she uh, uses to raise money for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. She has brought in 100000 over the past few years and 15000 this year alone. Wow. What have you done, Matt? Not much. You can give us a time that Matt has to beat next time he goes for a half marathon? Just finish. <laughs> I mean, I think finishing itself. That is, is a long run. Yeah. Wow. I, I believe cars are created for a reason. Totally. Anything over three miles is just unreasonable for me. I agree. Just a thought. Uh, and finally, police had to break up a loud party in the wee hours of the morning at a hotel, an otherwise ho-hum event that would, wouldn't be making headlines except for the group that was involved. Mensa. You know who Mensa is, Matt? Aren't they the brilliant, uh, smartest people in the world? Right. They're the exclusive society that accepts only people with very the very highest of IQs. It seems that Mensa members were at the Elite Hotel in Sweden on Saturday night when things got a little out of hand. They were partying in the corridors of the hotel, which you're not allowed to do here, says the hotel director. The police were called, though the officers noted that revelers immediately calmed down and that no action was taken against anyone. Still, since the news of the party made the rounds more than a week ago, Mensa membership applications have increased tenfold. (laughs) And they say, we're in two minds about this, of course, says a spokesperson for Mensa Sweden. We do want new members, but perhaps not in this way wow though but see now they're getting this reputation of being party animals they're the smartest partiers around Mm. (laughs) they're like we don't want those members yeah Uh, sorry hey uh ariana 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 grande she she went back and had her another or had her concert finally or she what what she quit her concert tour after the Manchester uh, bombings, right. she went back and had a benefit concert. Did you see any of that? Uh, no, I just saw, well, I saw the part where she got emotional. Okay. But yeah. y- you know what? 
Wow, that's cool. I was watching it on YouTube yesterday live. Oh, really? And then because I know you're a big Ariana Grande fan. <laughs> well, no, it was just it popped up, and then uh, I was watching some of the uh, concert this morning. You, it's uh, all on BBC Music, I believe. So if you want to watch it there, is that what you do? On you YouTube? just you just you get here early and then you just watch concerts. Well, no, I had I was working as I was going along, but you kind of check in on things and see what people are saying. Yeah, people were really mad. Uh, the headlines were saying that London was reeling from the attacks. Yeah, and like a nation that faced down the the Nazi threat from Germany and all. The, it's like we're reeling from yeah, this. There's the, three guys on a bridge. I know, but this is over and over and over. They just keep having an attack every couple weeks. One person on Twitter said that reeling is people who microwave their afternoon tea. That's something I'm reeling from, but because apparently that's improper. Oh, you're not allowed to microwave. No, you're supposed to use a kettle. That's proper English tea. Really? Just something I read. You read too much. I'm sorry. I'll stop. I mean that in the good way. Uh, Large inflatable obstacle course um, is is on the loose. Phoenix police are investigating the theft of a large multicolored inflatable obstacle course. I'll keep my eyes out. Yeah, be be looking (laughs) for it. Police say the open-topped red cargo trailer and the eight-piece obstacle course were stolen from a commercial yard in southwest Phoenix on May 7th or May 8th. By the way, my birthday. Is is there some correlation there? Probably. Maybe. I'm not saying it it is or it isn't. Should Should we look in your backyard? Don't. Was it a especially fun birthday? It was a real, we had a great inflatable obstacle course. It was awesome. Uh, they're now looking for the course, which is about 180 feet long, 20 feet wide when it's inflated. It's about worth about 35 grand. So like the American Ninja set with a ball pit. Right. Hmm. I wonder if they have one of those tennis ball guns. Oh, nice. Which is, I think, the greatest. American Gladiators. That's my favorite ever. Right. That'd be fun. I would love that. Uh, rubber duckies floated in pothole as part of a British village protest. And they were singing this song. Residents of a small British village fed up with the potholes have staged a very unusual protest. Ruffled residents of Steeple Aston, Oxfordshire. What? Huh? Put a small army of rubber ducks in rain-filled potholes last week to draw attention to the poor state of their village roads. Now, does this work? I'm not sure. Apparently, Parish Councilor Martin Lipson donated the ducks, which had obviously previously been used at other charity events. There were some pretty beat-up ducks, apparently. Here on campus, there's a road that I drive just on the the west side of the Marriott Center. Yeah. There's like a a cargo entry garage on that side of the building. There's a huge hole. Right in the middle of the road, and yeah, I, yeah, totally. I, I, I'm by that by that time when I leave the parking lot, I'm talking to my wife on the phone, and I miss this thing every day. Well, you, what you might want to do is just pay attention. Yeah, put a rubber duck there, and, and then the, they'll fix it. They actually filled it. They filled the pothole yeah. the other day. But it's still it's got, a wonderful. It's still got a little divot. Develop, well, a little bit, but you can you know it doesn't destroy your suspension and alignment every day. I, I like to, take but maybe it the rubber duckies is the way to go. Yeah, it is a humorous protest. Everybody, I mean, imagine that you call everybody, hey, bring as many rubber ducks as you can. And everybody brought their rubber ducks, and then they put them in the, they put them in the potholes, and they made a scene. And that got everyone talking, right. and then bada boom, bada bing, the, now the city council or the county council is talking about it. You know, we understand they're in poor condition, but they're not a safety problem. Shame Get is a ducks. wonderful weapon. 
Get your ducks and get out of here. Things can happen if you, you know, apply Put your ducks shame. in a row. Yeah, right. that's mm-hmm. the key. <laughs> They're also bright yellow, so no one's going to miss the pothole anymore. That too. Right? That's, a, that's not a bad it's idea. better than a traffic cone. But then you have to keep filling it up with water because the water could evaporate. But So if you just keep filling the potholes up and then put ducks in them, mm-hmm. you may be changing the world. One duck at a time? Yeah. It's really good stuff. That's how you, that's how you make... That's how you make uh, that's how you make change in this world. That's real change right there. Rubber duckies. Yeah. Uh, we'll take a break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about seven ways to measure relationship health. You know, relationships, they matter. And uh, if they're healthy or not, you got to be on top of it. You can't just hope they will be. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you love stronger and lead healthier lives. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, nothing more complicated, I think, than relationships. And uh, some relationships feed you, they lift you up, they take you to another level. Others seem to kind of suck you dry. They just take everything that you've got, uh, some nourish, some, you know, not so much. And so joining us today to help us through how to measure relationship health is uh, Dr. Suzanne Deggs-White. She is a professor um, and chair of the Counseling, Adult, and Higher Education Department at Northern Illinois University. She's a licensed counselor whose focus includes working with individuals and families facing tradi- or transitions. And uh, we're excited to have you back on the show, Suzanne. Thanks for your time. Thank you so much, Matt, for giving me the opportunity. You bet. We love having you on. And um, it really is. It's Sometimes it's it's almost like we don't make the time. We don't have the time. We don't think about our relationships until they become problematic. That's unfortunately very true. I think life has gotten so busy that when you hear a friend or a partner say, I'm too busy, it used to be kind of a put-off. But a lot of times today, it's really a truth that they're sharing. Is... Um, I guess the problem with it too is it's there's a lot that goes into a relationship, but if the relationship is pulling you down, if it's exhausting you, it's it's they're they're not disposable either. It's not something usually that we can just throw away. Um, so how do we how do we kind of get into you know making the best decisions with our relationships and make sure we're investing in the right way? You know, part of that is recognizing that you have a limited store of energy to put out in a relationship. And we have to recognize, though, as you noted, that some relationships are a part of who we are, they're a part of our history, and they very well may need to be a part of our future, especially when you've made a long-term commitment to someone. So it's really recognizing your own limits and what you can bring to a relationship and trying to trying to calibrate your energy with what your expectations are. Mm. Because sometimes our expectations in relationships are a lot higher than um, what they should be. Right. And, I mean, the weird thing, too, is, uh, you know, they always joke about you don't, you don't pick your family. You don't, they kind of, you're just born into that. But yeah. then you, you do have, you have relationships at work. You have relationships, you know, if you have hobbies, if you coach your kids' teams. Right. A lot of just the activities that you pick up in life also kind of direct what relationships you're going to have. They 
really do. We really, human beings, we're programmed to want to be social. You know, finding our, finding a connection, finding our tribe, finding it's, you know, if we're finding a church group where we feel accepted, for helping our kids find the soccer team or find the scout troop where they feel good about themselves. Relationships are really what allow human beings to grow and to become their best selves. Because we, when we show up in life is when we give ourselves a chance to explore pieces of ourselves that we wouldn't normally experience if we're sitting at home alone watching TV. Right. Um, so we have to recognize that every time we show up in life at an event, if when we show up you know, online in the grocery store each week with the same checker, that we are creating relationships, and we have to think about you know what is it people we want to have to offer others, and what is it we're expecting others to offer us. And when a relationship's not bringing out your best self, it's kind of it should kind of be a red flag to you to recognize um, what are your shortcomings, or are you having expectations that aren't realistic, and are you putting your energy where you really need to? Are you going? Are you chasing, um, tilting at windmills and til- you know going after dragons that you're not going to be able to slay? Hmm. Just kind of bringing real as a realistic expect a expectation to what relationships you're trying to create. So how do we go about uh, this assessment of our kind of our interactions, our social life and our life in general? Because they really are. This isn't just about relationships because every relationship impacts every uh, the, the humans, but it also interacts yeah. with everything we are and everything we do. Right. You know, it's about being your best self. And to be your best self, you have to make sure you're giving yourself space and time. A lot of universities and businesses go through a kind of a program prioritization process where they really do some in-depth self-examination to see if they're meeting the needs that they think they're meeting. Do they have the resources available to meet those needs? And there are kind of like seven different steps that we can kind of take, and seven seems like a lot, but really a lot of it's pretty basic. Like one, you know, you're in a relationship and looking at the history of that relationship. Is this a relationship that's part of a larger fabric in life? Are there multiple people involved? Um, were your great-grandparents, you know, best friends or cousins or siblings? Is this someone, you know, kind of like extended family? Some relationships are such a part of a bigger picture that we really can't just say, I'm going to cut my losses and head out. So that's the time when we have to think, you know, what is it we need to do to limit our expectations or rethink what we're willing to put into a relationship. Hmm. And and these can be in you know, the bigger picture. It could be family-related. It could be um, school, you know, your kid's school. It could be your faith group. It could be a lot of the, your neighborhood. You know, that's those are other relationships where you may feel, you know, you've got to keep your house painted. You've got to keep your lawn. To you. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. there's a lot of expectations to keep maintain healthy relationships. And so if there's a history there and a bigger fabric, you really need to take into account the weight and the significance that that these choices will have for you. Well, that's and, it. Really, is true, and I mean, it. You have to kind of know where you've been, I guess, to identify where you're going. Just because we've had a history doesn't mean we need to keep it going. But right. it also it might mean you also don't just eliminate it. Maybe you just back out of it a little bit. Maybe yes. you slow it down. Yeah, sometimes you need to do these things. You don't, you know, like I said, some relationships you can't just walk away from, but others you you kind of reprioritize, and you don't make the same energy commitments or time commitments that you might have um, in the past out of a sense of obligation. Um, 
you know, there's some obligations we have to honor, and, and we can't just, you know, life isn't about one person being happy with everything they do because we're part of bigger systems. So it's learning to how to function within the bigger social system so that things are working well for everyone, that the people who come in contact with you feel better after being with you than they would, you know, if they hadn't run across you. And and, and I, I guess, too, um, the history, having had a history, could also educate your expectations. I mean, if you yeah. keep if you keep if you have never seen something happen out of a relationship historically, you probably ought to quit expecting it to happen. Absolutely. You know, that's one thing if you're and I get tickled because you know a lot of times couples will say, "Well, he's never done this or she's never done that." I'm going, "Well, yes, yeah, she hasn't." And so magically it won't change. And then there's, you know, we expect people to be mind readers in relationships. Like, you know, you, you'll hear a couple say, well, he should know what I'm thinking, or he should know, right. you know, what I want him to do. But, you know, and, and there's some relationships that are kind of, I think about the roller coaster history, where there are ups and there's downs, and that's the way most relationships are going to be. There's going to be the highs, there's going to be peaks, and there's going to be the valleys. Um, you know, they kind of mimic the way life goes itself for a person. We can't function. No relationship and no person is really capable of functioning at peak, at peak functioning every minute of every every day because we don't, we're not built that way. Humans need time to kind of regroup, to kind of go, you know, to take some time off, build their strength back up before they can, you know, make that climb again. But if you've got a relationship that's just been a flat line, there's not, you don't expect, yeah, major change unless you do something to say something's got to give. Because, you know, your, your history tells you, you know, people show you what they want you to see. And if all you've ever seen is kind of that, you know, monotone, flatline relationship, that's, that might be who that person is, that they're not capable of, you know, giving you, you know, a relationship's not going to present thrills and chills because that's not who that person is. Mm. So it's being really realistic and using the past as kind of a benchmark for what you want the future to be. Yeah. Another another point you make is that you, you have to check their needs and your needs, kind of a needs analysis. Right. You know, can you be, you know, I think about the, you know, a lot of people are, we hear the expression in counseling, people are needy. And really what that is, is that they want someone to let them feel they're needed in life. That And we need to feel we matter. And we need to feel that we're able to be that person somebody dreams of spending their life with or someone we want to be that good friend. We want to be the good daughter. There are a lot of things, these kind of bigger images. And if someone's needs are bigger than what we're able to fulfill, we've got to rethink what is it we need to do differently or do we need to kind of have a a sit down and have an honest talk? Because sometimes we can't be somebody else's ideal anything. Because we don't, and if and if we're not meeting their needs, we need to have an idea of you know where our shortfalls are. A lot of times, and I think about couples counseling, where he's not you know I, I have needs they're not being met. But if you've not acknowledged what your needs are, it's hard for someone to meet them, and you have to kind of be upfront and honest. And if you have needs for time spent, if you want your friends to be available you know for lunch, but they work full time, well you know maybe your needs aren't realistic. And you might need to adjust what you're expecting from a friend, or you might need to have a friend readjust what they're expecting from you. Mm. And uh, it's really interesting. Um, it seems like it might be even easier at times to look at what others need from you mm-hmm. versus what you need. Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, so really going about looking at our own needs 
I don't know. It seems like for some of us, they change so often. They do, and they change, you know, because we don't, and I don't think any of us have a sense. We we know our basic needs, and I, you know, we can think about Maslow's hierarchy and, you know, kind of survival, food, shelter are there at the, at the first level, and autonomy and, you know, self-actualization are up at the top. And sometimes we need someone who's going to be there for us when we need someone to help support us, you know, when our basic needs are at issue. Other times we want someone who's going to, you know, stimulate us to think differently, to get outside of, you know, our what we think our limits are. Our needs change, but we have to think about, I like the way you said it, the emphasize what is this person asking of me and do I have the resources to be this person that mm. they want me to be? Um, and if it's in terms of partners, spouses, um, sometimes, you know, the spouse will bring out the best in someone and they'll, they marry, we marry the person we imagine that our spouse to be, not necessarily the person our spouse is. <laughs> and that's something that can be kind of a, when we, when we realize that everyone has feet of clay, it can be kind of a shock. And so sometimes we have to think, you know, is this person still able to meet my needs or have my needs changed and how can we figure out the best way to make this relationship work. That's good. Good stuff. Let's take a break. We're speaking again with uh, Dr. Suzanne Deggs-White. She is a a PhD, a professor um, uh, from the university, uh, from Northern Illinois University and the department there and, and chair of the counseling, adult and higher education department. She's walking us through seven ways to measure relationship health. Stick with us. We'll continue the journey and the assessment when we come back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Relationships, they're, they're the greatest thing in the world, and yet many times we need to learn, we need to grow, we need to create some changes, we need to you know, decide how to move and how to negotiate the relationship better. One better way to do that is to measure relationship health, which is really an intentional act of evaluation. Uh, you know, universities have to reevaluate their programs, their processes. Companies reevaluate. But uh, do you ever reevaluate your relationship? And it doesn't mean it's like a yeah, let's get rid of this one. It might just simply mean let's learn and adjust and figure out what needs to, what really needs to change to make a relationship better, so that you can feel better about it. Joining us to talk about it is, is uh, Dr. Suzanne Deggs White. She's a PhD, a professor, and the chair of counseling, adult, and higher education department of uh, Northern Illinois University, a licensed counselor focusing on working with individuals and families that are facing transitions. And again, Suzanne, thank you for being with us. Absolutely. Glad to be here. So you've taught us already that we need to focus, if we're evaluating our relationships, we need to look at the history, how we kind of came together, mm-hmm. uh, how, how, how we've kind of progressed. We've got to look at our needs, our needs uh, and other people's needs when it comes to this relationship. What do they need from me? What do I need from them? What else do we need to make sure we include in a relationship assessment? One, you need to look at the success of the relationship overall. Are you? Is it going well? Do you usually feel good about things? Is it getting stronger, or do you feel like a relationship has become more of a bad habit? 
sometimes, you know, our relationships are just kind of their fallbacks. And we might be someone's fallback callback or we might be someone's um, first, first priority list. And it's important to understand what does success look like for you with the relationship and, you know, how, how does the person feel about it. I worked with one couple, and every year on New Year's Eve, they'd kind of re, re, they joked about they would both have been in the military, and they joke about re-upping. Hmm. That they would re-enlist in their relationship. They'd talk about it once a year. You know what's going well, what would they like to change, and recommit to one another on New Year's Eve every year. And it sounded kind of um, formal, but you realize what it did, it gave their, their relationship kind of a rhythm that they knew that they could kind of check back on success and, and check back with each other, and it wasn't a high-pressure situation because they both knew to expect this opportunity to kind of um, reevaluate things. Well, that's what's neat about the military is you really – you're committing you're, – you're recommitting every two or three years every right. time you re-up, and, and – a lot of us make that commitment 20 years ago, but we don't necessarily feel like we're we're still in the commitment right no. now. You're, that's a great way to put it. It is because we don't. We just we do it, and it becomes just a habit. We're just yeah, I'm married. Yeah, I'm with this person. Whatever. But we forget that we did make that commitment, and we really should. When something becomes that big a part of our identity, because we do most relationships. That's how we form our identity. Who we are in relation to whether it's mother, father, sister, brother, husband, wife, you know, child, that we forget that we ought to reevaluate, you know, what what's what's going on in this relationship. You know, are we doing the things that we should be doing to ensure that we continue being successful? Hmm. Or have we forgotten how and sometimes we forget in some relationships we get so busy, even in the most intimate, you know, partnerships, marriage, we forget how to show we care and we forget to measure ourselves against this idea of being a person who is sensitive, caring, loving, and accepting of another person. And that's got to have re- – okay, it's one thing to just you know hurt your partner. It's another thing to become somebody you don't like. Right, right, and 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 we do because as you know, we we spoke at the very beginning of our time this morning about how busy life is, and it's sometimes so much easier to put work ahead of family or work ahead of our relationship, our primary significant relationships, or put other things ahead because we assume, oh, you know, my wife will understand, or you know, my who my blank will understand because they know me. And yet you turn into someone that maybe your partner doesn't know anymore. They don't recognize who you are because you've given so much of your energy outside this primary relationship that you know, you've kind of forgotten who you promised to be when you first enlisted in this major relationship. Yeah. What um, I mean, I know another point you end up bringing up is about kind of your emotional investment. Um, talk about that because it seems like many times – you're physically fine, you know, you're socially fine in the marriage. It's just emotionally where you, you can't yeah. do it anymore. Sometimes you feel, because, you know, did the demands get to be too much? And it's part of that becomes us wanting to be everything for someone else. When, you know, if, if you kind of go into a relationship presenting your very best, if you're feeling like you can't allow that facade if you feel like you can't be honest and say that you too might have needs, you might run out of energy and run out of steam, always trying to be that superhero that you think your partner fell in love with. And none of us can continue to give at that, that 
that peak energy level that we we feel when we you know if most of us you know spring and summer and summer romance is in the air and there is an energy we get from this new relationship high and we're able to do things we'll never be able to do again it's kind of like that adrenaline rush in the middle of an accident when when 90 year old women can lift cars off of people right. trapped underneath because at that moment in time you need that resource but that resource can't be there 24-7. Human beings aren't made that way. And if we try to give at that peak level to a partner, when we start, to, you know, if they don't ever see that vulnerable side of us, we might one day feel we have nothing left to give, that we can't be that person anymore because we've set the bar so high for ourselves that we can't allow, you know, we can't allow our partner to look behind the curtain mm. and see that we're human. So you got to be aware, you know, what what is the what are you giving in the beginning? Are you setting yourself up for failure, or are you expecting your partner to be that amazing person you imagine them to be back in, during the courtship? And I guess to some degree, as you're as you're learning from these assessments and these questions. You might realize you're you're really expecting your partner to just be too much. Yeah, you know that can happen. That our expectations are too high. That we feel they're not giving enough, but they may have given all they can possibly give. And so sometimes we have to cut other people some slack. We we have you know are you having unrealistic expectations of a person is easy in the beginning of a relationship because they're showing you their best self. But I think we sometimes are you know, surprised when that best self facade starts to fade. But we've got to realize that we, you know, that that we're not going to be able to be our best selves all the time either. Right. N- none of us can ca- are capable of doing that. Well, and maybe that also means that it's time to get a best friend. It's time to get... you know a hobby group that you can go work with you know you can't expect someone i I don't think any anyone was would want to be counted on to be everything to somebody else that puts a lot of pressure and i think if i think about friendship groups the one thing about friendships that's so different from primary relationships are one they're you know well they're both built sometimes on choice and option but the idea of friends that you don't you you kind of choose to be with them and they accept you in ways that sometimes a partner won't. You can be your less best self with friends and a lot of them will be understanding because we, we see our friends as human and they're, we know that they're not trying to put on a show for us and they can be themselves. Right. Whereas we might want to hold that, you know, we, we might have an image that we have as being, because there's a lot of books about being the perfect partner, the, you know, the perfect, you know, spouse. There are things out there about that. But, you know, being a perfect friend means accepting someone's humanity and, you know, finding people that accept us as we are. Mm. And sometimes we should realize that um, one person wasn't meant to fill all the voids in our own emotional neediness. I guess, too, as you look at your relationships and doing an assessment is, is one of the things is is this is this a necessity? Is this a relationship I have to keep? Right. Uh, yeah. You know, when you look at um, yeah, if divorce, you know, if you're with a partner, divorce should not be the first option. You know, to, you know, working, you know, you should think about how do I need to change or how can the relationship shift. But then with other relationships where maybe it's an old friend that you know is going to bring you down, or maybe you're you know you're coaching your kid's team and you don't have time, you're not doing a good job. I mean, there's some times where you kind of have to think, maybe I need to pull back so that the experience is better for other people. 
we have to take responsibility that we may be, you know, a negative force in some relationships because we don't have what we need to keep that relationship going. Mm. And if it's not a necessity, you know, maybe maybe you don't need to try to spend energy in something that you're going to wish you hadn't spent energy on in the first place. And it doesn't mean you're going to abandon everyone, but it it, it might be be a very smart choice for your life to to yeah. find yourself. It might be, you know, it might be, is it someone that takes you away from the relationships where you should be present? Um, when we talk about, to, you know, in toxic friendships, another area I think we've spoken about, you know, kind of the question is, do I feel better or worse after being with this person? Yeah. And if you've got people in your life where you feel worse after spending time with them, you do need to rethink whether this is a good investment of my time. Yeah. Yeah. Even if they're family. Even if they're family. You know, they, one, you know once a year, twice a year, you show up where you have to, and, and you look at it as this is a commitment I've made. I don't have to worry about this family for another 12 months or six months, whatever the family requires you to show up at, and just say, I can, for, I can do this for my kids. I can do this for my parents. I can do this. Yeah. <laughs> you kind of find a way to tell yourself that this, this is worthwhile. And, and I- we do justify things. Well, and I guess part of this is you've got to have a pretty clear idea of of the future benefits of this. Right. You do you do. And and that's part of that relationship history piece. Like, you know, what is this a big is this a something bigger? Is this a bigger piece of my life? Am I focused here on this negative energy because I'm being selfish or Am I really, um, you know, in the middle of something where this has to be a part of my future? And yeah, you know, and if it's not going to be part of your future, and it's not going to make a difference, you know, in two years, two months, five years, you you, you can cut yourself some slack and say you don't have to be all things to all people. Mm. Because too, the, there's a lot of data out there, right, that shows that uh, you know relationships do take it out of you. They do impact yeah. your health. They do, you know, and it's funny because even um, they've done a lot of studies, especially with older adults in relationships, because the importance of having at least some friendship. Usually, if you, if someone says they have one best friend, they're going to live longer, and be, their overall well-being and physical health is going to be great. You know, much better compared to those people that don't have a person to call a friend. Um, and it's important to know, you know, as, as people get older in life, and there's, you know, we think about how church groups are a great place for support, other social groups where people can get together, it's that sense of mattering. So we know we need to matter for us to have optimal physical health. But when they did studies with people that had difficult relationships or unpleasant, you know, friendships and family relationships, their health suffered more than the people that had no relationships. Really? And so detrimental relationships are worse than having no friends in your no one to call a best friend or no one no no good friends in your life. Unbelievable. So it's important to think about, you know, if if you do have a relationship that is bringing, you know, that, that you feel is 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 weighing on you or it's keeping you from feeling good about your life if it's something you dread having to live up to that commitment for. It's, you have to think, you know, kind of long term, is this going to be good for me or is it going to be something that's going to draw me down from my optimal you know, state of being, even yeah. as I turn 60, 70, 80, 90? Oh, yeah. I mean, and um, I, I guess this a lot of this is just teaching us that there is there's a there's a there's a plan here and you have to be intentional. You have to figure out how to reprioritize life and relationships if you want to remain healthy. It sounds like a great way to put it to sum it all up, Matt. Absolutely. I mean, in the end, it's still your life. Right. It's your life, and it's finding the best way to lead the life that works the best for you and for you as part of that larger system. Yeah. 
Good stuff. Well, we appreciate you, Suzanne. Again, Suzanne Deggs White is her name. You can find out a lot. Uh, just uh, she does a lot of writing on psychology today. Has a blog there and wonderful uh, insight from her work there at Northern Illinois University. We'll take a break, my friends. Helping you be the good in the world and assess and evaluate yourself and your life. You, you can't hurt yourself by just learning how you're doing. We'll take a break. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends. You know, evaluating, how often do you evaluate your life? And 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 how many times have you sat there and thought, I jeepers, I got it. I hate my life. I'm dying here. I need a life. I need a job. I need whatever you think you need. Do you ever just get stuck in that rut and you're thinking there's no way out? I don't know how to change. I can't change my job because, you know, I don't – I'm too old to change. I'm too old. I'm whatever. We always have these excuses. Well, if we're not evaluating, we're setting ourselves up, right? If we don't know regularly how we're doing in certain things and actually getting some feedback, which is hard. I get it. It's embarrassing. It's You don't always want to sit down and say, so, honey, tell me what it's like to be married to me. (laughs) Many of us don't want to go near that because that could get ugly. But in the end, without the feedback, you're just flying blind, right? You have to figure out where we want to be. And so think about it just in life overall. Are you where you want to be uh, professionally? Are you where you want to be socially as far as your social life goes? Are there some changes that we could be making? We don't have to make them today, but we could make them over the next year or two professionally that might set you up to be in a better type of situation. Are you? Where are you financially? Where are you emotionally? How about spiritually? Do you feel like you're spiritually where you need to be? Do you feel like you used to have a stronger spiritual life when you were younger? Uh, so it's some of this is just being willing to slow down and ask the questions. And you hear these people that go, they take a vacation, and they on the vacation they spend a lot of time evaluating themselves and and their conditions. And in the end, I mean, that sounds like awesome. But if, if you can't do that, you could just make it a habit of maybe on your drive, every time coming home from work, just on your drive this evening, on your way home, just evaluate, how am I doing? How do people perceive me at work? How, what are some changes that, that uh, need to be made? What do I need? Am I getting my needs met from work? And just start going through some of those questions that we, uh, we went through with Suzanne to evaluate, are my needs being met? Are my dreams and goals working? How did I even get to this job? Was it an accident or is it really what I re- want to be? Is it aligned to my highest values and principles? It's just evaluation. And it doesn't mean you you have to quit. It doesn't mean you have to even make a change. It just means you can start learning. So challenge you to do that. And, of course, do it as well in your relationships. Also, remember, it doesn't mean you got to just divorce now because we all the answers are no. It might simply be we have to rethink how we look at the relationship, how we approach it. 
helping you uh, learn to be the best you you can be. When you're a better person and you feel better about yourself, I guarantee the world will be a better place as well. So that's uh, hour number two of the program. We'll take a break. Come back. Stick with us, helping you uh, be the good in the world. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the program. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Happy days. Happy Monday. Hope uh, so far so good for you as you're making your commute or maybe going to lunch Ah, it's just Monday. Mondays don't have to be bad. They just tend to be. But today, we will change that for you. We got a great uh, guest coming up. Kim Giles will be joining us as we talk about the secret to a positive attitude when things go bad. So when things are just not going well for you, today you're going to learn how to keep it positive. Now, Terry, I really want you to listen to this segment. Why is that? I'm just, just throwing that out there. What did I do? No, nothing. All right. I just want you to listen to it. Keep it positive. <laughs> is there a tendency I have? No, or? no, no. Okay. No, no. We'll get to uh, that fun um, because, you know, life's hard. Jeff uh, Simpson, by the way, if you haven't heard, Jeff, the, the co-host here on the show, has a beautiful baby boy, not a little baby, a nine-pound, ten-ounce chunk of just a linebacker love which beautifully uh they made it just under the wire it sounds like because the baby was born in the lobby yeah we'll have to get more of clarification on that like, was it like inside the first set of closing doors just pour in is, yeah yeah he pulls in and then they just she delivers right there in the lobby or were they like waiting for three hours in the hospital and then she delivers? Because sometimes, you know, you have the, the automatic doors, you walk in, there's like a bench right there. Yeah. And then they have like a waiting area to get into the actual yeah. hospital part, which what are we talking about? We'll have to find out. Yeah. Was this an ambulance, you know, that dropped him off in the lobby or did he pull up in his red Solara? What was it? That's what we got to find out. Uh, in fact, we probably ought to call him tomorrow. Is it too soon? I mean, do we need? To, I, but I think we might want to call him, get him on the air. I don't know. You you left me alone for a week. I know, but I you felt, didn't call me. You didn't think of that. Well, I just didn't think you'd want to. You didn't seem like the one that would want to talk about it. Really, Jeff, I think will want to talk. about See, it. See, I made it through fine. It was no problem for me. <laughs> yeah, I know, <laughs> but your wife, yeah, she needed you. She just needed your time, your attention. I don't know. We'll have to think that through. Maybe you could put a call into Jeff and see if he's uh, All right. up we'll check. a call sometime this week. It doesn't have to be tomorrow. Okay. Whenever he's got free time. We'll get to- Well, he's just sitting around. I know. Well, no, he's not. No. Oh. He's loving his family. Is that what it is? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, that's what's going on. So uh, we'll get to that. Plus, in a bit, we're going to talk about, um, with uh, Kim Giles, the positive attitude, how to have a positive attitude. Plus, of course, visiting our good brethren from BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's coming up on their show later today. And some hero stories out of the London um, terrorist acts that are they're pretty amazing. A lot of heroes created during those t- those difficult times. So all of that ahead. Plus, I'll take you through a little uh, 
a new opportunity if you want to go to California for a little boot camp that'll turn you into a man. There's a there's a great if you got ten thousand dollars, you know, we can turn you into a man over a weekend. So fun stuff there. But first to Terry South with the headlines. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country? A disability lawyer who pled guilty to defrauding the government out of six hundred million dollars with fake disability claims has gone missing after removing his electronic monitoring device. Eric Kahn, the has been uh, scheduled for sentencing for next month, was ordered to pay the federal government tens of millions of dollars for his fraudulent disability scheme. But the FBI said Saturday that, that Kahn's whereabouts were currently unknown after he apparently removed the electronic uh, ankle bracelet, I guess. The uh, warrant for his arrest has subsequently been issued. Kahn, well-known disability lawyer in eastern Kentucky, has been operating a practice out of a trailer park in 1993 before gaining prominence as, quote, Mr. Social Security Guy. What's what's his last name? Con, huh. C-O-N-N. Con man? Uh, just says Con. Just Con. Uh, but they, he was known as Mr. Social Security. Uh, after failing under, uh, after falling under suspicion from federal investigators, Con admitted to falsifying well over 1,700 applications for disability benefits. Wow! Yeah, he just—he's a busy man. He just kept going and going, so he's uh, disappeared. So we'll see what happens. Taking a bike ride can offer various health benefits, but along with those come the pros and cons. Notably, the risk of being seriously hurt in an accident. UC San Francisco researchers say such incidents have risen for adults since the late 1990s with more visits to the ER and hospital and more of the accompanying costs of medical care per a new study in the Injury Prevention Journal. Between 1997 and 2013, there were about one or 3.8 million non-fatal bicycle injuries nearly and nearly 10,000 deaths. With a press release, they had to listen to a press release over the weekend. This study said uh, medical costs from 1999 until the end of uh, end of the study hit $237 billion, a figure about twice that of the cost linked to all other occupational illnesses during the same time. Wow. In 2013 alone, the cost of bike accidents hovered close to $24 billion. That's also about 100, that's a 137% spike over the course wow. of the study for non-fatal accidents. So what we're learning from here is that riding a bicycle can be dangerous. Yeah. And the reason it spiked, they feel, is because more people started riding their bikes to work. Yeah. More, you know, more bike paths, more, you you know. Everyone wants to, you know, conserve energy, but then you die. And men seem to have the most trouble uh, behind the handlebars, racking up 75% of the total cost. And riders 45 and older are also faltering. So older and men. Are the older people forgetting how to ride a bike? Um, uh, I don't know. They're saying worsening injuries overall, just you're not ready for it. Maybe you, you don't react as quick. There's, there's no real like guiding principle right. through all this to figure out why older people are, are susceptible to this. But men, because men. we like to take risks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so in a weird way, I feel like very close to that story. Why? Did you crash your bike? No, I'm just an older man. You're an older man? The other day we were talking about getting bikes. Don't crash your bike. Yeah, maybe we won't do it now. Just don't ride it to work. You'll be fine. I won't. Over the weekend, Los Angeles Angels' uh, Albert Pujols became the ninth player in Major League Baseball history. They hit 600 home runs in a game against the Minnesota Twins. He said, I'm uh, just glad to be on that list. Whether it's a solo homer or a grand slam, I'm just glad that it happened tonight. It's a pretty special feeling. The last player to achieve that was uh, Jim Tomey of the Twins in 2011. Other record holders are Babe Ruth, Barry Bonds, Sammy Sosa, 
among others. Wow. It was a, a great hit. Was it? He just looked cool. I mean... Apparently he's really fallen off as of late. He was supposed to be a home run machine. That's yeah. why they gave him the one of the richest contracts ever. And meh. Yeah, but once you get the richest contract ever, then it's he's, like... He's eh. gone to retirement community, which is the Anaheim Angels, apparently. Yeah. Grand Slam, though. That's a big hit. What are you going to do? 600 home runs. That's pretty cool. That's you pretty wouldn't cool. start phoning it in if we gave you that kind of money, would you, Matt? I'm already phoning it in. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> what are you talking about? You wish you could phone it in. It's too, yeah. It doesn't sound the same. It doesn't. And finally... What? This weekend... A yeah. new Oreo flavor hit the market. Oh, boy. This is the news we've been waiting for. It's the Jelly Donut Oreo. Oh, I'd kill to have a donut. So you got the golden Oreo cookie with a raspberry center and custard outer ring. Ooh. Ooh. Okay. So you're, that that works for you? A little yeah. strawberry well, it custard? it sounds great. It sounds really good, but I'm not sure if it's, I'm not sure if it'll work. You have to test these out. I've heard Swedish fish was gross. Yeah. There was a Peeps Oreo that had other physical effects. Uh, come again? There was other physical effects to the Peeps Oreos. Interesting. So uh, okay. The Firework Oreo, I tried that one. Oh, did you? How'd that work? You, you eat it, it just tastes like a normal Oreo, and then when it's done, all of a sudden you'd kind of feel a faint popping. Oh, really? Like the Pop Rocks were going off, but it's faint. Where a Pop Rocks, you definitely know something's happening. But is is that the one you told me that after you smelled sulfur? No. Not at all. Because I think that would lose it for me. So the Pop Rocks uh, Oreos, or excuse me, Firework Oreos, they're okay. Really, Pretty good. Really a gimmick. A faint, a faint, yeah. With a f- y- you'd want a more distinct... Like something's going on in your mouth sort of situation Like a there. party in your mouth. Like you yeah. want, yeah, poppity pop. The only time you want something of that feeling happening in your mouth. You don't want things like going off in your mouth. Like no, that, right. You know? No, but when yeah. you know it's like Pop Rocks or uh-huh. something like it, it's fine. I had a, I had a shrimp dip that, <laughs> that, that had like peppercorn peppers in it. Okay. And the, when you'd bite on those things, things would go off in your mouth. And hmm. that I wasn't really... Not a big fan of. No. You can only, as, as is the case with these, because it's their signature. No, they're calling them their limited edition flavors. Yeah. So this is just. A, so you have your traditional Oreos, then they have their limited edition Oreos. Sure. And this one's only available at Walmart. Okay. So if you're looking, that's where you need to go. Well, I'm going to do that today. Get some except, jelly except, well, donut Oreos. Them, so. You can eat one. No, I can't really. Oh, okay. Just one? No. I mean, I'd love to, but. Yeah. I would probably just have my gallbladder explode. Okay, well, Can't something to look forward to. Yeah, just something to someday, you know, when I'm rehabbing. When you have your bionic gallbladder. Man. <sighs> <laughs> you keep bringing up food that I can't eat. I have more. You have more food to bring up? Yeah, we'll talk about it later. Oh, boy. I got to spread this out through the week. Yeah. You're trying to kill me. No, it's just I'm trying to just... Let people know that there's options of things you can have to experience life, maybe make it a little bit sweeter. Okay. Because they're all sugar and they're horrible for you. That's good. Okay. That makes sense. Um, Do you feel like you're back to your primal nature? I don't know if I've ever been to my primal nature. (laughs) I don't even know what that means. Yeah. Uh, But apparently, and I've thought a lot about this, and I think we'll take Cole for sure. You, uh, um, Jeff, maybe myself, maybe Don would want to go. But- 
in California, you can go sign up for a boot camp. And the boot camp, uh, it's just for men, and it helps us reclaim our primal nature. It'll take us back to kind of the the early the early man that we all were supposedly born from. The old caveman day. Really? When a club is all we needed to survive. Okay. Know what I mean? No, so, but... <laughs> um, what we do is we pay $10,000 each. So get ready. Just everybody sure. get, get that ready. But it's a work thing, right? No. Oh. I just thought we'd do it as buddies. Oh, okay, okay. And you go... What you do is you go to Warrior. It's, it's a whole week long. It's called Warrior Week. And it's an intensive program for males. And it's male executives, but I think we all... Oh, yeah. We all are executives, really. Or, or at least could pass for them. And Yeah. And you go, and what they do is they just they just work us. They, they make us do... They make us run into the ocean and swim so many miles or float or drown, whatever you do. And then you've got to... You've got to be thrown into an ice water, a tank of ice water, and survive that, you know, without dying. And then they're going to press your heart to the point of exploding. EMTs stand by, and they have you fight. Yeah. You fight? I mean, they just have you do everything you can do to get back that, turn back into that man that you want to be. $10,000, you say? Yeah. Hmm. What can I get for, like, nineteen ninety-five? Yeah. Nineteen hundred or nineteen dollars. Nineteen dollars ninety five cents. Well, you could probably buy a video of it. Okay. Just watch us do it. So instead of the actual experience, more of the as seen on TV experience. <laughs> yeah, just like a segment from that some, I can watch from my couch. That seems more my speed like anyway. A Navy SEALs. I think they're trying to take us to like SEAL camp. Is that what it is? Mm-hmm. SEAL training. Yeah. Hmm. But it's called Warrior Week, and uh, it's it's held like ten times a year, so you can just pick your time. And maybe, Sounds lucrative for someone. Yeah. I mean, if you look at it that way. But they have to pick you. That's the problem. These are hard to get into. Oh, wow. 500 applications for each week. Invite only. There's only 20 spots. Hmm. So I'm not sure that we'd get in, but looking at us. We could try. I mean, I think we got a good Why shot. Why would they say no? I mean, right. I mean, just look at us. Right? They, I mean, they look at any photo of us and go, "There's a group of men that need help." And you'd want to put you'd want to put all of your best traits on your application. I would, of course, say that I've had two endo what are the endoscopies. Those are your best traits right now. It's one of my it's one of my best traits right <laughs> now. What makes you a warrior? <laughs> I've had two endoscopies yep. in the last six months. Kind of an endoscopy hog. So anyway, I just want you guys to know I'm doing it, and you know when I'm, I got to apply. Oh, okay. Yeah, I haven't. Applied. So you're, you're going to apply. You'll let us know. Let let you know what I'm letting you know right now. I'm applying. if you get in. Oh no, I'll get in. Really? Oh yeah. They won't reject you. I'm kind of lucky that way. Do you think it's more about the ten thousand dollars or meeting certain requirements? No, I think it's about meeting certain of their requirements. Which includes $10,000. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But I'm doing it, so deal with that. And when I come back with my primal man back in me, you better watch out. This is going to be a whole new show. It's going to go to TV by then. You'll be be looking good. I'll be ripped. They'll want to show me on TV. 
Oh, boy. Hey, we got a great uh, guest coming up. Kim Giles uh, will be joining us as we talk about the secret to positive attitude when things go bad. We all need it. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. We are in studio with Kim Giles today, and uh, Kim is the president and founder of Clarity Point Life Coaching. You can go to her website, claritypointcoaching.com, to get more information about her. She has been uh, identified as one of the top 20 advice gurus in the country by Good Morning America and by the Matt Townsend Show, designated one of the top uh, five advice gurus in the intergalactic area. Pretty powerful, Pretty uh, powerful endorsement. Endorsement. There, Matt. Thank you. Totally. And uh, Kim <laughs> joins us today to talk about an article she wrote about how to the secret to positive attitude when things go bad. It's hard to remain positive when the world's falling apart around you. Yeah, it is. And you know, it's a hard life. Is rough. Matt. It's tough. It is it's totally tough. tough. I mean, everybody you talk to is going through something. Something. Yeah. And, and it's. Very discouraging and tiring, and and I know that we've got listeners out there today that are in the middle of this kind of yeah just, challenges. Is is it? I mean, you don't want to just like pretend like it's not hard, right? You don't want to just go into your little bubble and say la la la. I mean, I've tried that; that didn't work. Yeah. No, so how do the I? Reality is, it's hard. <laughs> how do I let it in? You, you got to let it in a little bit to to you, so that you can learn from life. And and I guess feel the test of life, but we have to remain positive. We want to remain positive. Well, okay. So there's kind of two levels of this. When things aren't going right in your life, you got to look at why. Yeah. And maybe there's some real lessons in this for you. There's some ways you need to change and grow. I mean, I believe all the challenges that come our way have a purpose, mm-hmm. and they're about growth. So if it showed up in your journey, there's a lesson in it f- for you, and we need to figure out what that is, figure out what's in your control to do something about. Yeah. And and so we're going to obviously take action on the problems. Right. But on top of that, we've got mindset. And mindset can make what's already a difficult situation a whole lot worse. <laughs> <laughs> Depending on how you're, you're, you set your mind to it, how you think about it. Yeah, how you your perspective yeah. about it, right? And one of the interesting things I've learned recently is that neuroscientists say 95% of the choices we make, we make subconsciously. So that means 95% of the time we're kind of reacting right. to this stuff and our subconscious mindset is actually driving. And they say that between zero and seven years old, you experience enough about the world that you set in place rules or policies, perspectives, beliefs about who you are, how good you are, how scared you should be, how you fit in the world, what the nature of the world and life hmm. is. And you think about, we're pretty immature yeah. at seven years old, but we've drawn conclusions about life yeah. by watching the big people around us. And those conclusions now become the programming uh, that drives our perspective 95% of the time. Right. So it's a, it's 
pretty good guess that most of us have got some subconscious programming, some beliefs that may not be accurate. They may be very fear-based and they may not be serving us at all. Is that why I'm always deciding that I need ice cream? Because it's I go back to my seven-year-old subconscious that always wanted ice cream. ice cream. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. I've just never <laughs> thought of that. But, but really, when you because we were fear. We I mean, we were just we were so insecure in a way, incomplete. We you know we believed in monsters, and then this we create this paradigm that subconsciously runs us for the rest of our lives. Yeah, and if if as a kid you watched your parents and and family go through some really hard things, you may have drawn this conclusion that life is dangerous. Yeah. And I've got to be on guard and and be protecting myself all the time. You might have drawn conclusions about whether you should be afraid of what other people think of you. I think mom only had to say once, "Don't go out like that, Matt." Yeah, you what look ridiculous. What will the neighbors think of you? That's right. What will they That's think right. of us? And you went, oh, so being afraid of what other people think, that's... Or be, this is where we become afraid of life. The world is dangerous. This is unsafe. Absolutely. So I actually wrote the column this morning because of a question that got turned in. And the, the gentleman that wrote me said, you know, I, I do all the right things. I'm a good person. I'm righteous. And yet everything keeps going to crap. And, and he was really mad at God. Mm. Feeling like some promise is not being met here. Yeah, yeah. And so another really interesting subconscious program that I see with a lot of religious people is they they somewhere picked up this promise idea that if you're a good person that everything should go right. Yeah, nothing and bad, bad happens. bad things should only happen to bad people. Mm-hmm. And so when you do everything right but all this bad stuff happens, you're like, what's going on? This This isn't how it's supposed to be. Yeah. But, but can you see it's really a faulty belief right. that's the problem. So there's a few faulty beliefs that I think are important to check yourself Yeah, for, let's go on those. that's what, one of them. Okay, so one of them is kind of that the God's punishing you. That Yeah, that if you're righteous, good things should happen. Yeah. And if you're bad, then you must be bad if bad <laughs> things happen. Okay. <laughs> okay, that's a belief you might have. But it's not necessarily accurate. It may be running you. Yeah. Another one, because of agency, everybody in the world is out there running around making choices. And those choices can take from me. You can do me wrong. You can steal from me. You could even kill me. And this has created this belief that everybody is a threat and that I need to protect myself from other people. Yeah. Creates a lot of subconscious trust issues. If you find yourself getting defensive protective a lot. You may literally have this rule in your head that you're not safe in the world and everything is really against Mm. you. That's, I mean, that's exhausting because really one, one paradigm that's set in your head without any questioning of it, you could run it the rest of your life. Yeah. And you, and you're so unaware of what the, the core belief is that you never question it. Mm. And it just, and then all of a sudden you're sitting at a light like, oh, come on. (laughs) Totally. What have I done this morning that's causing this today? Another one that I hear quite often is if bad things happen to me, then either there is no God. If bad things happen in the world, there must not be a God because God wouldn't allow these bad things. Right. Or he doesn't care about me. He cares about other people, but he doesn't care about me. Hmm. I hear that one. No, I do too. A lot. Yeah, I hear that a lot. And. Which is interesting because in the story of God 
his nothing was worse than what happened to his son. I mean, so and he bad felt things alone, happen, right? He felt alone at at one time, right? Yeah. Felt yeah. like God forsook him yeah. for a minute, but it's not really truth that that's mm. what happens. It's about the learning and growth that we're here on the planet to get. And sometimes we have to walk some things alone to gain the strength yeah. and the wisdom that God has in plan for us. You've got to feel the pain a bit. Yeah. So the last one is that the universe functions in random chaos and things happen for no reason. That there, there's not meaning and purpose. There's just bad luck. And all of these bad things can happen to me and they don't, they don't mean anything. Now, again – that's just a belief. It's not a fact. Right. It's a belief, which means there could be other belief options. I I'm a big fan of Viktor Frankl's oh, I love Victor, stuff. Yeah. I know we've talked we've talked about him before yeah. when I've been on the show. One of my favorite things that he discovered and gave to the world that happened in the concentration camp is he asked himself that very question. Is it random bad luck that I've just got captured when I did and then I ended up here in this place at this time with these people? Yeah. Or is there a reason I'm here? Is there purpose and meaning in me ending up here at this time at this place? And he pondered and pondered and pondered that trying to figure out what truth is. And at the end of the day, you know what he decided? What? There's no way to know. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. We cannot <laughs> prove it either yeah. way. So where that leaves us is that we get to choose how we're going to see our life. And we can see things as just random, bad luck, and I can just be robbed and taken from and this bad stuff happens. Or we can choose to see purpose and meaning in mm. it and actually believe that whatever's happening in your life is happening to serve you at some level. Yeah, it's it's there to be your teacher. It's there to be your guide. It is. It's there to bless you. But that's tough. And that's a choice. The, the circumstance really yeah. sucks. Well, it's almost like then it's – so there's, it seems like there's a point where you start – if these are your paradigms that govern you and your subconscious thoughts, there's a point that it's going to start creating turbulence in oh, your yeah. life. So is that when you start to notice, okay, I probably need to go to the deeper thing here. I need to – I can't just be on autopilot because it, if it always creates turbulence, I need to turn it off. Right. So what does turbulence look like? Yeah. It might be stress. It might be depression or anxiety. Yeah. It might be relationship problems because when you're functioning in this space and you feel like you're unsafe in the world and all these bad things happen to you, you're in a victim place, you're not going to be really effective in your relationships. Right. Everything's going to be about you. And that's what fear does to us. It makes us extremely selfish and focused on no, us. No, totally. That's great. That, I mean, that's great advice is pay attention to it. But then let's do this maybe. Let's take a break and come back and then walk us through what do we do to to change the subconscious. We can do I mean, that. Because that's like magic. It is. Magic. <laughs> More with Kim Giles when we come back. Go check out our website, claritypointcoaching.com. Tons of uh, free tools and um, resources there. Plus, just understand how you can get in contact with uh, Kim and her great coaches there. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, in studio with us today is Kim Giles from Clarity Point Coaching. She is the coach extraordinaire and is has a wonderful uh, list of tools and resources on her website, claritypointcoaching.com. Today we're talking about your how to find a positive attitude when everything's going bad around you. And she's, she was talking to us, you were talking to us, Kim, about this idea of the subconscious. So about 95% of our thinking is subconscious. It's all kind of below the waterline. Mm-hmm. And 5% we actually think about. So, so much of our everyday lives, we have not even figured out why we think that way. No, we're, we're literally on autopilot. We're yeah. living from reaction and those reactions usually aren't our best behavior. No. And we don't even know why. Like, why do I care? Yeah. Why did I freak out about that? Why did this upset yeah. me or that upset me? So how do we get down to that subconscious level? Okay. So when we want to change subconscious programming, the first step is we got to become consciously aware of what our old policy is. So we spent some time yeah. talking about what some of those policies might be. And in my book – I go yep. into a lot more depth to help you recognize a whole bunch of different ones. Right. Um, today, I want to specifically talk about maybe this belief that the universe is chaos and that because of that chaos, I'm unsafe all the time. Yeah. And a lot of us really do feel like every day I'm, I'm unsafe in the world. People insult me and take from me and – and take from the quality of my journey in some way. Mm-hmm. We get defensive all the time. And and so I especially want listeners today to just ask yourself, do, do you feel often taken from or mistreated? Have you got this feeling that even life, maybe the higher power in the universe is even treating you unfairly or doesn't care about you? Because this is a – a subconscious belief that really can wreak oh, yeah. havoc. Oh uh, yeah, that's a I mean that's havoc. that's that's heavy, right? I mean, if you're getting to the point that you think your God or your higher power is against you, that's yeah. that's a pretty lonely moment in life. It is, but I I believe a lot of us mm-hmm. actually kind of aren't sure that he's really taking yeah. care of us. Or well, especially over if us. you're on autopilot. I mean, if you're on autopilot, you could fly right into the Bermuda Triangle and not realize you're there (laughs) until you start hitting the turbulence. And then you're like, hmm, I probably need to evaluate where I am. Okay, so my first secret to changing our attitude when things go bad comes from tweaking one small word. What? One small word. Instead of asking, why did this happen to me? Yeah. I want you to change it to why did this happen for me? Hmm. Instead of to me, for, for me. me. Huh. So what is that? All of a sudden, it's now I'm. It's I, it's part of my growth system. It's somehow, it's it's a gift instead of a curse. Right. So I believe that we're we're on the planet to learn and grow. I yeah. think this is a big school, and if we choose the belief that that's in fact truth, that life is a classroom. Yeah. And that the universe is a wise teacher that is constantly conspiring to educate you and serve you and help you become stronger and better and wiser and more loving. And if we decide to see the universe like that, as actually constantly working for us instead of against us, it changes how we feel about all these hard things that we're going through. I love that uh, because – and it is just a simple word, but – 
it seems like it will it would rewire your subconscious. You'd start thinking, hmm, okay, so it must. I mean, I guess that's even a question you could pose to your kids. Why do, why do you think this is happening for you? Absolutely, and we got to ask ourselves constantly. Uh, a, a few months ago, I got pulled over for running a stop sign. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. You, you remember were that? very surprised, but I was so mad because I thought I stopped at the stop sign, yeah. and I got into just anger and why was this happening? And and I suddenly asked myself that question, why could this have happened for me, even something just as mundane as getting a ticket, right? Yeah. But why could this be here to bless me? And I realized in that moment, I've got an African-American daughter, and I have had a hard time having empathy and understanding the anger that a lot of African-American people have towards the police. Mm. And I sat there and realized, okay, I only got pulled over once, yeah. and I'm this mad. <laughs> Imagine how I would oh. feel if it happened all the time. Yeah. And and I suddenly saw the beautiful lesson in being pulled over, and it completely changed how I felt about hmm. the experience. So, yes, this is a powerful question. The moment that you see meaning and purpose in the hard thing, it yeah. changes it. It changes how you feel. Viktor Frankl actually said that suffering ceases to be suffering at the same level the moment it finds meaning. Hmm. So no matter what you're going through right now, I want you to step back from it and maybe get out a, a pencil and paper and see if you could write down 10 positives that this negative experience could possibly create in your life. That's great. What could it do for you? And I have to tell you, Viktor Frankl actually had fellow prisoners who, after the war he was counseling, he had them do that exercise. Did he He really? asked them to come up with 10 positives that happened, that, that had been created because of their concentration camp nightmare. Oh, wow. And Matt, they could do it. They could find them. They did. They came up with things like, I have the most beautiful gratitude for the smallest blessings. Even a, a warm cup of tea. Hmm. Nobody appreciates a blessing like that at the level I do. And how beautiful. How neat. Is Just that something that gratitude. simple. And and honestly, if they could come up with positives, no matter what you're going through, yeah, what's your excuse? You can do this, right? You can. That do this. is amazing! Holy cow! Okay, give us one more, one more tool. What's one more thing we can do? Okay, so we want to actually sit down and rewrite some of these faulty beliefs. So if you had a belief that if bad things happen, God's against you, and you might be a bad person, let let's step back. What would be a belief that would serve you more? Maybe the idea that the promise from God is that if you're righteous and good, that you'll have added strength yeah. as you get through to the your rough trials. stuff. Right, yeah. But we're all going to have rough stuff because it's part of the classroom. That's cool. And that he's always with us, but sometimes we do have to walk parts of the journey alone so that we gain strength. Because if he did everything for us, we wouldn't have yeah. that opportunity to grow. That's so true. And, and and so, again, part of a learning mentality that he's always there, but he'll let you grow. This is a growing opportunity. Right. Hmm. So so sit down and look at those faulty beliefs, rewrite them, and then I recommend you read them like daily To kind of re, re-entrench them. And, and then you practice consciously choosing to believe that every chance you get to be consciously aware enough to choose it. Yeah. And the more that you do that, 
you internalize it, and eventually it will become your new subconscious programming. It's your, I mean, it's, it really is just be consistent at it. Yeah. Keep drilling it in. Just like everything else in life, we have to practice. Yeah. Oh, practice our boy. Kimberly Giles is her name. You're going to want to go check out her website, claritypointcoaching.com, where you can get information about everything she does, including her books, uh, her programs, her offerings. She's got it all. It's all right there. Pound for pound. Thanks, Matt. More good stuff right there. ClarityPointCoaching.com. We'll take a break, and uh, when we come back, we'll be visiting our good brethren at BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us, folks. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. It's that time that we send it down to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation, Spencer and Jerem, to find out what is coming up on their show in just about 11 and a half minutes. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, Matthew. How yeah, are I you? I my volume up. <laughs> <laughs> you got it now? Are you both okay? We're good. We're hey, good. Uh, time to sports. You guys, what are you doing today? Oh, you know, just got back from California. After the show or during the show? Just both. We're California dreaming, Matt. Are you? You were in California. Yeah, that we were. And um, now you're back. Do you have a tan? Did you get a tan? Yeah, we worked on the tan a little bit. Did you go to the beach? No time. Come we on. We saw the beach. You, you drove by the beach. <laughs> we saw the ocean. Yeah. How lucky for we you. We got guys. got in Friday afternoon. Uh, had a great time that night at a uh, donor party. Went to the Angels game. Albert Pujols did not hit his 600th home run that night. He hit the next night. Thanks, Albert. Thanks, Al. Then Saturday, uh, did a two-hour show at the BYU Fan Fest, which was amazing. We met Mo Longy for the first time, mm. and then we flew back. Wow. And busy, busy. Mm-hmm. It was fun. It was great. Holy cow. Great turnout, by the way. Was it a great Corona, turnout? California. Oh, that's great. It was amazing. See, we need, we need, I think, more travel for those on-air personality. Don't you think? Yeah. We is just, that a shameless uh, plug call, for you to uh-huh. fly more places, talk, Matt? Talk to Sheila Line. And I'm, I'm going your, to. Your women's conference remote isn't doing it for no, you? No, you know, I want to get off campus if I could. <laughs> just anything off Utah campus. Va- go to Utah Valley. Oh, yeah. The, go to Orem. You'll be like, man. I'd be huge in Orem. Hey, um, what do you guys, uh, what, what do you think about last night's game? I think that it was a 14-point closer game than last year's game, too. Yeah. Last year was a 33-point blowout in Game blowout. 2. Right. The Cavs were down 2 nothing. Now, keep in mind, Cleveland was down 2 nothing last year, but yeah. the Warriors didn't have Kevin Durant. That's the huge difference. Kevin Durant Kevin just Dur- steps up and then crushes it. He has scored more points than his perceived replacement from the guy he replaced, Harrison yeah. Barnes, already through two games. What did Harrison play. Barnes even do 65 in points. I mean, What did he do in Dallas? Yeah. Who you knows? think Golden State upgraded at that position? Well— Someone tweeted out yesterday. I'm trying to. What's her name? Angie Treasure. She covers the Jazz, mm-hmm. Salt Lake. She said Golden State is capitalism, and I thought she's right. She's right because you either if you don't like the Warriors, it's because probably it's too stacked. That's just unfair. Yeah, that's capitalism. That's like saying I don't like Apple. Right. People buy so many of their phones. Come on, they dominate. 
Like, well, that's capitalism. Yeah, at some point, Golden State is going to have to ante up to maintain that top spot as the capitalist team in the NBA. Because when your fourth best player is a guy named Clay Thompson, <laughs> you got to pay some people to make him stay. Exactly. Yeah, it's going to be hard to have four Supermax guys. So, but that's later. They're, I think they're going to win this series. That's obviously oh. what it looks like. Kevin Durant is a huge difference maker. But I'm not, a, I'm not opposed to this. And, and Colin Cowherd tweeted out a few minutes ago, Last night's game pulled to 12.7 nationally, which is really good. Wow. And he said, oh, it's so bad for the league to have teams like this. <laughs> He's like, you, you, uh, th- people that are opposed to that opinion, he says, you think you know what's right. And I give you numbers. I give you facts. <laughs> people tuned in. People care. People they like, like it. it. They like it a lot. Yeah. Huh. It's, it's compelling. They it totally want, is. They want to see if somebody can dethrone the juggernaut. Right? The, yeah. yeah, this is can LeBron take down Golden State. That's all this series is. It really is. And and he, he he it seems like he could do it with just the starting five on five, they could maybe do it. But you gotta rest. Oh my god. And once you bring the benches in, it's that's where the, the deal, Warriors right? Yeah. Like in war, it's not just the first uh First wave. wave. Unbelievable. Yeah. It was a three point game and then Golden State goes on one of their patented runs. And two minutes later, they're up seventeen. Like it's it is crazy they how a, fast they can like blow the game open. They had a possession where they missed a three. They got a long rebound, missed a three, got a long rebound, made a three, and it was Durant that shot it, Curry that shot yeah. it, and then Thompson. Thompson. And I thought that is the most Golden State possession of all time. <laughs> it was great. And it's also fun to watch somebody like Steph Curry go head to head with LeBron. Oh, he had him on skates. On Did you see that? That, that I know that was. I mean, that was that's fun. The the pickup baller versus maybe the goat one day, <laughs> yeah, and totally. everyone's like, oh, you know, oh, yeah. that was fun. That was yeah. a fun move. Yeah. LeBron had his moment early in the game too. Totally, he absolutely destroyed the rim against Andre Iguodala. Yep, boy, and there's some tension between the teams. I mean, oh, this is some. Yeah, this is good. This is good. That's why it's good. That's why it's getting the rating. Let me ask you this: Is it as good as the Jelly Donut Oreo that's just been released at Walmart? No. Forget the Jelly Donut no, Oreo. It's not, it's not that good. No. Okay. I was just checking. <laughs> just checking. Now you guys are still doing your show, right? We are doing our okay, show. Okay. So what's what's up on your show? It's today? all about the NBA Finals today. Really? Nope. Okay. <laughs> like you're starting to do the NBA Finals. Okay, great. No, it's we've reached the point of the season where preseason. Magazines are coming out with projections and rankings and preseason award yep. watch lists. It it's like the toy catalog for the approaching Christmas when you're a little kid. Yeah, like you totally. get the toy catalog well, the after Halloween, and it's like, oh, I want this, and I want this, and I want this. That's kind of how we feel about these preseason college football magazines. Like, oh, what's going to happen when the real thing begins? So we're going to dive into that today. Cool. And uh, we want all of BYU Sports Nation to tell us if BYU being ranked number 39 by Athlon Sports is too high, too low, or just right. Basically, Mm. you rank the Cougars. Rank the Cougars! Like, is the porridge too hot, is it too cold, or is it just right? (laughs) That's good. It's just right. That's a good show. Love me some good porridge. Brian Logan going to join us. Where does he expect BYU to finish up in the rankings? Not just begin, but where does he expect them to finish up in the rankings? And what did Taysom Hill break in Green Bay over the weekend? Hold it. Really? It's a good tease, right? He broke something? That's a great tease. He broke something. (sighs) 
I can hardly wait. Mm-hmm. Oh, my heavens. <laughs> well, tune in. All right, guys. I'm excited to hear your show. Uh, tune in, everybody. About four and a half minutes away, and you will be in Utopia with Spencer and Jerem. Life will be good. Holy cow. And you'll get the answer to the tease. What did he break? Hmm, maybe it's time to Google that. Uh, hey, a Florida man, by the way, cited for driving with his SUV's hood blocking his view. Now, we've told you. If, if we've told you once, we've told you 50 times on the show. If you're going to drive your SUV, make sure the hood is uh, properly secured. But a traveler in Florida uh, captured video of a driver traveling at a high speed of uh, a high rate of speed in an SUV with the windshield blocked by the vehicle's hood. Police said the driver told them his hood wouldn't close after a recent crash. So he has been driving around by looking through the gap uh, underneath the hood. He just, he's got a gap. There's just a gap. So you just look through the gap. I mean, sure, I'm going 70, but you just I just look through the gap. Uh, Claremont police said officers helped the man secure his hood, and he was issued a citation for driving with an obstructed view. What's amazing is that people think that that's okay. You know, I mean, it's like, actually, he had thought it through. Like, I got to get to work, right? And... I've only got a little gap I can see. And what, you want me to stick my head out the window? No. But apparently he thought that somehow was a good idea. Um, Anyway, not such a good idea. Another not so good idea is uh, if if you're going to put together quotes in the yearbook, make sure you, you, you vet the quotes to make sure that one of the quotes isn't from Adolf Hitler. Unbelievable. The principal of an Oklahoma high school apologized after its yearbook featured a quotation attributed to Adolf Hitler. Uh, Students at Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School in Oklahoma City discovered the quote when they got the books earlier uh, this month. Graduating seniors chose quotes to pair with their portraits. One of the quotes listed above Hitler's name says, if you want to shine like the sun, first you have to burn like it. Hmm. Anyway, uh, somehow that snuck through and bada boom, bada bing, next thing you know, you've got your quote, your Hitler quote in the yearbook. Okay. So anyway, we got to be more careful, right? Hey, and as you know, we always like to wrap up the show with a hero story. And there are a lot of heroes because of what's going down in London. Um, One hero was an officer with the British Transport Police who was stabbed in the face, head and leg while trying to prevent the deadly attack, which claimed seven victims. BTP Chief Constable Paul Crowther said, having visited the officer in the hospital shortly after he was admitted for treatment, I was able to hear his account of what happened last night. But this yeah, this police officer, armed with a baton, faced the London Bridge attackers and held them off pretty much single-handedly. He ended up did getting, he got knifed in the face, uh, but it became clear that he showed enormous courage in the face of danger, as did many others who were on the scene during that event. Another was a, uh, a police officer, uh, a rugby player that took on all the terrorists until he was forced to the ground. He's now in serious condition in the hospital. And the final hero are Londoners of all stripes who showed incredible bravery fighting back during Saturday night's attack. At least with just left seven dead, 48 injured. Anyway, everybody that steps up, that is willing to, uh, to do the risky thing, you're the heroes. And it takes the heroes in this world to uh, to save lives as well, but also to teach the rest of us that life is worth fighting for, life is worth uh, standing up to people. 
And I guess that's the challenge to all of us and the challenges we leave the show today. Let's get out there. Let's push back on the uh, on the pain that others are creating. Let's make this world a better place. Until tomorrow, make it a great one, folks. We'll be back again tomorrow. This is the Matt Townsend Show. BYU Sports Nation will be up next.